You are listening to Viva and Barnes Law for the People, an American and Canadian lawyer breaking down the latest in the legal world in terms everyone can understand. Enjoy the podcast. Rules of parking were not followed. People would park in any direction, would park on sidewalks in a very pedestrian area. If you know the Byward Market, it's it's small businesses, storefronts, it's it's really clear where you're supposed to park and, and where uh, where is, is the pedestrian realm. So the, the the surge of vehicles, pickups, is one of the aspects, and we saw that in different areas of, of, of my community. The Bikers Church in Vanier was one area. Uh, De La Salle High School was another one. Wait for the punchline. Uh, Rideau Street and the Byward Market were other areas. Uh, Nicholas uh, were others. So there's there's that those incidents of... of People not following the rules of the road. Parking, parking rules. Pickup trucks, which is a different vehicle, which is a weapon in itself. But the, the weaponized description to me is really the rigs who take space on, on, the, on the street. The rules of parking. Pickup trucks, which are a weapon in themselves. And you'll notice some interesting uh, echoing of some of Justin Trudeau's prior rhetoric taking up space, taking up place. Good evening, everybody. This is a highlight from day two of Canada's Emergencies Act inquiry, whatever they're calling it, the public inquiry, into whether or not Justin Trudeau, uh, not whether or not he should have invoked the Emergencies Act, just the legislative requirement that they explore uh, for the sake of transparency, the circumstances surrounding Justin Trudeau's invocation of the nuclear weapon of Canadian legislation, the Emergencies Act, the substitute, the the replacement for the War Measures Act. This is, uh, what's his name, Mathieu Fleury. He's a city councillor for Ottawa. His testimony as to why it was necessary that Justin Trudeau invoke the nuclear option of Canadian legislation to suppress this, this protest as a national emergency I, I didn't hear too good. What, what did you say, Matthew? The rules of parking were not followed. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? The rules of parking were not followed. One more time. The rules of parking were not followed. <laughs> the rules of parking were not followed. There were pickup trucks parked everywhere. And pickup trucks are a weapon. Middle Street and the Byward Market were other areas. Uh, Nicholas uh, were others. So there's there's that those incidents of... of People not following the rules of the road in pickup trucks, which is a different vehicle, which is a weapon in itself. But the, the weaponized weapon in itself, which is trucks. a weapon in itself, which is a weapon in itself, which is a weapon in itself, weapon in itself, weapon in itself. But the, the weaponized description to me is really the rigs who take space on, on the on oh, the. They street. take space. They take space. How ironic that this um, government official. City Councillor Mathieu Fleury uh, spouting off some of the very same rhetoric referring to vehicles the way Justin Trudeau referred to Canadians. It's, it's, it's ironic or it's trickle-down nastiness. Uh, but it is telling that this man refers to objects the way Justin Trudeau referred to Canadians. They take up space. They, uh, they, they take up space. Should we tolerate these trucks parked on the sidewalk? Should we tolerate these Canadians? This witness on day two um, testified to the fact that 
cars were not legally parked. Bring in the military. By the way, um, I got to show you this because the, the, the woman sitting next to him, uh, Catherine McKinney, Catherine McKinney, she's the other council, city councilor who testified the other day. Um, she had some doozies of some testimony. Let's just get one of them. Oh, here, here we go. Here we go. This is, this is Catherine McKinney telling uh, the other witness, Mathieu Fleury, to answer in French. Pretend you, pretend you don't understand English now. And answer in French because you know the guy cross-examining you doesn't speak a lick of French. And he's going to have to have the headphones for the real-time translation. But let's just get, let's just get uh, one of the sound bites from, from, from Catherine McKinney. City councillor for Somerset, Ontario. Elected official. And then we're going to get to the punchline. And in terms of uh, any kind of threats to safety, unruly behavior, were, was any of that uh, type of uh, personal safety issues uh, reported to you? And or did you witness any of that yourself, uh, Councillor McKenney? I didn't. I didn't personally witness any acts of acts of violence. I was scrap it. End it there. I didn't personally witness any, but I got a whole lot of secondhand hearsay. Oh, I, okay. This is funny. Someone said in the chat, "Who's the person passing?" Out? Someone passed out, allegedly skydiving, and then wakes up. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, that's not what I wanted to show you. What I wanted to show you was. Catherine McKinney, city councillor. I, I guess I gave her too hard of a time by uh, clipping her testimony <laughs> and sharing it with more people than I guess she wanted people to see. Catherine McKinney, city councillor for Ottawa, blocked me on Twitter. There should be a rule that if you're an elected official, uh, you can't block people, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I was sharing her testimony, not so that she would know that I was watching it, so that everybody out there who doesn't have an entire day to watch these hearings um, <laughs> should hear them. And I guess, I guess Catherine McKinney, uh, I didn't call her any names. I might have called her a liar. I think adults can deal with that. But um, uh, she blocked me. Because I guess she did not like that big, shiny spotlight uh, to make everyone understand the absurdity of what we are currently witnessing. Uh, good evening, everybody. Sunday night, I'm wearing a Salty Army um, shirt that he gave me, sent it to me. It's very, very comfortable. I have not yet had anyone on the street, um, you know, like, hey, you want your Salty Army too. Uh, it'll happen one day. David, why are you not testifying? So I, I take for granted everybody watching tonight watched yesterday's stream, but maybe there's a lot of um, people who didn't. The public inquiry into the Emergencies Act, it's going on now. It's going to be six weeks of witness testimony. Uh, I've got, I, I don't know why I'm not testifying. I didn't sign up. I, I'm down in Florida now for, you know, at least a, a couple of years. Um, I didn't sign up. I would happily testify. I'm trying to message a few people to see if I can go down there and testify because um, I would have, I, I'd have some stuff to say. <laughs> oh, I, I, but we'll see. I don't know if, if, if they have any of my documented footage lined up for witnesses, but we'll, we'll see if I can squeeze in and maybe fly down for a, a day or two and testify. But I just didn't, um, 
<laughs> you think I'm afraid to testify? Uh, I hope that's a joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid to testify. Yeah, that's that, that's I, okay. I, that has to be a joke, so I'm not going to take it seriously. Uh, good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to testify. I, 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 I doxed myself for having donated $1,000 to the convoy before anybody doxed anybody. Uh, and uh, if anybody thinks it's more dangerous to testify there than it is to share my mind day in and day out, like I've been doing for the last however long, I, you have to have a, a problematic assessment of, of risk and, and life. So it is, we'll see, we'll see. It's just, I, I, I've been down here and it hasn't been... Testify for what, Diva? They are having the Emergencies Act inquiry. And they're calling witnesses from the city, uh, residents from the convoy, yada, 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 to see, um, you know, the circumstances surrounding Justin Trudeau invoking the emergency. I would love to testify. Oh, I would love to testify. And, and you know what the first thing I would say? You're all a bunch of pathological liars. Catherine McKinney, maybe that's why you blocked me, regurgitating misinformation about, oh my God, about the, the homeless shelter that had truckers come and demand meals and then racially insult security guards and assault homeless people. Hey, you know what? There's a reason, Catherine McKinney, why you admitted that, or no, sorry, it wasn't Catherine McKinney, it was Mathieu Fleury, that you hadn't seen any police reports, that you don't know who, if anybody filed the charge, that you don't know anything, because it probably didn't happen. Oh, but and then Catherine McKinney regurgitating that propaganda lie about Nazi flags all over. Oh, there were there were Nazi flags, swastikas, Confederate flags. You know that's a lie. All of you know that's a lie. There was at best one of each. There was one person with a, a swastika and one person with a Confederate flag. And the one with the swastika uh, was told to leave and never came back. And there's still some dispute about whether what his message actually was. There are two diverging theories. One is that it was an absolute plant so they can get their photo up and they can then say this protest is filled with Nazis and, and swastika flags. That's, that's one idea. The other is that this guy was a bona fide Nazi and thought he would be welcome among the convoy uh, protesters. The other theory, which is entirely legitimate and very plausible, is that this guy was carrying around a swastika flag to draw an analogy to the fact that this is how the Canadian government is acting. And then he, people told him, put it away. It, uh, if that's your message, you're an idiot. And if it's not your message, you're an idiot. Pack up and leave. And I know the guy personally who told him to pack up and leave. He works for the PPC. I know the guy personally. I saw the video where he was saying, get out of here, put that flag away and leave. And that guy put the flag away and never came back. The Confederate flag? Oh, yeah, because Canadians are all into the Confederacy. Idiots. And they regurgitate these two isolated incidents. In fact, they weren't even isolated. They were singular incidents. They repeat them and then add the word, there were flags. There were swastikas. There were Confederate flags. As if there was more than one. As if it was nothing more than a one-off idiot or a one-off idiot who didn't know how to make a message. But they come and they just, that's what, that's what they testify to. Oh, assaults. Protesters were getting in the face of residents saying, take those masks off. Lies. Lies, lies, damn lies. And I know why. I was there. People were wearing face masks so they wouldn't be recognized, so they wouldn't be outed, so they wouldn't get fired, lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody was shaming anyone for wearing a face mask. That, by the way, and it was minus 20 
a lot of people wearing face masks just because it was damn cold. They're also known as neck warmers, scarves. But Catherine McKenney, Mathieu Fleury, good city councilor representatives, spew the garbage, spew the lies, regurgitated over and over. Oh, we went for night walks, but we were scared. Oh, I wasn't scared in the protest. I was scared in the residential periphery when I would walk home alone at night. Yeah, you know why? Because all of those homeless people and the drug addicts and the people that lurk around Byward Market and Wellington Street, the downtown core, they got displaced by the protesters and they were in the periphery. Oh, all of a sudden, people don't like homeless people hanging around when they're not isolated in one area that they don't have to frequent. But yeah, that's it. Lies, lies, and damn lies. Or as I like to call it now, lies, lies, and emergency act inquiries. So yeah, I'd, I'd go down. We'll see if it happens. I, I, I don't know if it's too late. I, I suspect it's not, but who knows? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too much of a persona non grata to even, to even get invited to there. But uh, until Barnes gets in, there was one other video that I wanted to share with everyone. Not a man passing out as he um, <laughs> skydives. I think that's fake. I think that video's fake anyhow. Uh, but no, no, no. It's, it's something that's far more preposterous, absurd, uh, insane. Here we go. First of all, Brooklyn Defiant Dad. I, I, I know that it's a big account and whatever. Uh, what did he say? He, he shared this screen grab. Accurate and cosine. Let's read. Let's read the meme, shall we? There's a, the old expression, the left can't meme. Oh, you guys see my, my messages. Well, that's embarrassing. It's a good thing I've got uh, nothing to hide. Hold on a second. Let me close this down so you can see. Uh, <laughs> um, here, Nancy Pelosi wasn't hysterical or emotional. On <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I got distracted. Nancy Pelosi wasn't hysterical or emotional during January 6th. She was cool and collected, determined to save our democracy. No plates or ketchup hurled. I don't get that. Strong, wise women leaders. We need more of them in the U.S. Are, are y'all familiar with the expression soft bigotry of low expectations? Well, we now have the soft, uh, what's the word? Not mis is Misogy is the opposite. Soft misogyny of low expectations. We look at a, some people, some people, I say we as in the individual who drafted this. Some people look at a woman and the first thing that comes to their mind is they're hysterical and they're emotional. And when they're not, we should compliment them for not being our regressive stereotypes of what we think a woman is. Nancy Pelosi wasn't hysterical or... I got to tell you something. When I look at a woman or a political leader or anybody, I don't reflexively think that they must be hysterical or emotional because they're women. In fact, I don't even think that, period. And I got to tell you something. I've seen men behave hysterically and emotionally. I think that someone is hysterical and emotional when, regardless of sex, gender, creed, race, or religion... They behave in a hysterical or emotional manner. And I don't think that that's gender specific or even gender uh, predominant. But apparently some people look at Nancy and they say, she's a woman. She must be hysterical and emotional. And therefore, when she doesn't act in a hysterical and emotional manner, I should compliment the woman for not being what I think the woman is. I think women are hysterical and emotional. And when they don't behave that way, I give them a, the man's clap. 
Um, so, so I, I, you know, a little kid, you know, funny, uh, a man complimenting a woman for not being hysterical or emotional. Why would anyone even have those thoughts of a woman in the first place, then feel the need to praise the woman for not succumbing to these traits? Damn typo. If they were not, in fact, a closet misogynist. But, 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 what, what do we hear here? She said she was calm. She was cool and collected, determined to save our democracy. No plates or ketchup hurled. No, 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 no. She was only talking about physically assaulting, physically assaulting the president of the United States. Don't trust me. Trust Fancy Nancy. I'll be comfortable. I'm going to punch him out. This is oh, my mom. I would pay to see I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. Now, I, I, I don't know when this is from. Oh, this is from the January 6th hearings. <laughs> it doesn't even matter when this is from. That's a calm, cool, and collected individual. I mean, she's definitely not hysterical or emotional. She's just rapidly violent and insane. And, and proud of it. I'll be comes, I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to fight. I'm waiting for this. For trespassing <laughs> on the Capitol grounds. Oh. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. Oh. It's amazing. It's like, let me at him. It's, 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 the, it's the drunken bar fight where the guy's like, hold oh, the, the little skinny dweebs. Like, let me at him. I'm gonna, I'll beat that guy up if you just let me go and fight him. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but she's, uh, no, definitely not emotional or hysterical. Just a, a, a raging, uh, a seemingly inebriated psychopath. Yep. Violent and proud of it. But yeah, she's calm, cool, and collected. No, no ketchup hurl. Just threats of physical assault uh, and proud to go to jail because of it. All right. We got a good show tonight. There's, there's, it, <sighs> I don't know. I, we'll see what Barnes brings by way of white pill because some of the decisions out there, they're, they're not the, the white pills. But before we get started, we are going to move it over to Rumble sooner than later. Um, I'm going to bring up a super chat or two or three, which are flagged in the background. Section 230 is unconstitutional, thus, all platforms will. Hold on. Section, Section 230 is unconstitutional. Thus, all platforms will kill Alex Jones, David Fright, and Robert Barnes because they will be liable. Stephen, I have no idea what you mean, but is that a threat? I think you mean kill the channels. Section 230 is unconstitutional. Thus, all platforms will kill Alex Jones, David Fright, and Robert Barnes because they will be liable. Hmm. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, there were two more in the house. Ian Hall, gotta say, Viva, your pronunciation makes me wonder if I've had too much to drink or if you are really saying certain words certain ways. Probably both. Keep up the good work. Ian Hall, thank you very much. Uh, let's do this. And, oh, okay, we got, we got that one also. So, super chats. YouTube takes 30% of all the super chats. If you don't like that, and I can understand some people don't. Rumble, where we are currently streaming, to a crowd of, let's see here, 7,721, two to one. Fantastic. Uh, we'll be moving it over there sooner than later. On the menu tonight, let me just get back to my screen here. On the menu tonight, lots. When I say that there's black pills, John Stossel was suing Facebook and his third party pack checker there um, for defamation because they said Stossel uh, was factually incorrect flagged his content, suppressed his content, redirected traffic to their own websites. The decision came down and dismissed 
on a motion to dismiss and an anti-slap Stossel's decision. Um, and there's a t- we're going to talk about the Alex Jones decision. Just a, just a cool $1 billion to 16 plaintiffs. Uh, where's the list? Let me get the list. Now, I see Barnes is in the house. Okay, and he's got a shirt on, which I'm going to ask what it means. Here we go. Robert, sir, how goes the battle? Well, I don't give a damn about the whole state of Alabama, whole state of Alabama, whole state of Alabama, because I'm from Tennessee. Great win this week by the Tennessee Volunteers, upsetting one of the greatest games ever in the history of college football, 52-49. Go Vols. I got my celebratory cigar ready. Robert, may I ask an obvious question? Did you have anything riding on that game? Actually, I had a bet on Alabama. That's what you call an emotional check bet. Right. So you bet on the other side so that if you have a disappointing outcome, at least you make money. And if you lose the money, you don't care because you care far more about the win. Uh, very good. Oh, here we go. Uh, I'll bring up one super chat before we get started here. Mr. Barnes, can you give Cal Rittenhouse lawyers to uh, to to use to the use. Alice Jones rule uh, in his suits? The news media will not give everything he needs to put the news. Well, the news media will not give everything he needs to put on his case. So by this rule, he can get a default judgment. Well, Robert, the problem is this. The, there's the Alex Jones rule. And now there's the new John Stossel rule, which was the Candace Owens rule. There's two sets of rules here. We're going to have to get to them in a bit. Um, okay, Robert, what's the book behind you? Because it looks like it's about international uh, oh, the one politics. I, no, oh, it's, it's the emergent. Uh, it's the book we are reviewing this uh, month at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. The Emerging Republican Majority. Uh, We are through the Northeast and the South. We're going to cover the Midwest and the West uh, before Election Day. And I'll wrap up. It's a great book by Kevin Phillips. uh, He wrote the text for it back in the mid-1960s when everybody thought his theories and premises were nuts, by the way. They thought there was a liberal democratic order coming in that was going to dominate uh, the end of history in Fukuyama's uh, terms. And he was saying, nah, the world's actually about to go in a completely different political direction. His predictions ended up deeply accurate, brilliant analyst of widespread trends about the role of ancestry and religion and ethnic uh, background and uh, the role of like sometimes I'll get these people that will yip away about, oh, Barnes doesn't want to talk about the whites. It's all about the whites. And, you know, it's somebody that's race obsessed. And I was like, well, that's an idiot, because if you think the Yankees and the Italians vote alike in Connecticut, you, ain't, you don't know nothing about American politics. So it's a, it's a great book about tiny little differences, the differences between where German immigrants came from. Did they come from the Catholic section, the Protestant section, the East, the South or the West? All will have voting differences that will actually show up on Election Day, November 8th. Uh, and Robert, I, I, I'm going to go to our list, but we got a, we got a ton of stuff on the menu. Oh, tonight. yeah, we got the Alex Jones trial, that outrageous verdict. We got the Nicola uh, CEO who's going down to the Huskow. We got a free speech win on college campuses, a good one for Young Americans for Freedom. We got a city that's suing Peru in the international court about whether or not they've deliberately allowed toxic minerals, to- toxicity in their environment. Uh, Steve Wynn wins a big case against the Biden administration. The Robin Hood class action that we said would survive and that a bunch of fo- naysayers on law Twitter said it will go nowhere. We'll have a little update on that. Uh, we got SeaWorld, which decided to hire actual criminals to scare people for their Halloween exhibit, and it went a little too far. We have state. We have a big, big dormant commerce clause case that has broad scale potential uh, influence, and if the oral argument is any indicator, the Supreme Court might try to punt instead of rule. We got Andy Warhol up at the Supreme Court. We got uh, Amazon apparently likes to sell your kids suicide kits and knows about it, according to allegations filed against them. 
that's that's the most like I, I I'm only going to be I'm up to speed on about half of these. That that am that Amazon uh, is it Amazon? Or, yeah, it's Amazon. Yeah, it's Amazon. Saying eBay, it's the most shocking thing ever. And and I'm I don't think I'm sensitive. I think it's shocking. Uh, we'll, oh we'll no doubt. We got a new antitrust law that might pass the Senate. Uh, we have Pfizer making certain admissions uh, about their vaccines that seem to suggest they've been engaged in false advertising here in the United States to the detriment and maybe the death of millions of people around the globe. Taylor Lorenz amended complaint filed against her by Adriana Jacob by uh, Harmeet Dillon, which I think has a above average chance should survive if uh, the court sticks to its original ruling. We have uh, courts deciding they're going to start uh, getting rid of legislators they don't like uh, by mis by misusing and abusing the 14th Amendment clause. Uh, we have a judge who decided he was going to jail a juror over not wearing a mask. We have the we have Trump's uh, notorious response to the January 6th attempt to committee to subpoena him. We have the a great court ruling uh, identified by uh, Glenn Reynolds, uh, the great Glenn Reynolds, uh, who was uh, out of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals that says, no, the government cannot steal your house for a tax debt. What the states were doing was, you know, let's say you owe 10 grand and they would take your $300,000 house and take all of it, and give none of it to you by declaring you forfeited your interest in the property by owing tax. Ah, now that's an illegal taking, unconstitutional taking. And then of course we have the John Stossel case as well. So let's, we'll start with the Alex Jones just cause it's, it's, it's the news of the week. Uh, the trial went exactly the way everyone, I guess, wanted it to, but Robert, everybody knows what happened. $965 million in damages. Just to begin with, they're going to add more. That's going to be about one and a half billion when they're done. Yeah. I think, um, Oh, Pat has said it's going to be maybe two to two point five billion because they're going to have punitive legal fees, et cetera. Biggest award was one hundred and twenty million to Robbie Parker, ninety million to the FBI agent who had no family members get killed in the incident. Uh, the, the worst that was said about him was that he was an actor that he might not have been an FBI agent. He didn't wear the right bat, whatever harassment associated with that. Ninety million, and it goes down to two point eight million. Some are saying the trial went exactly the way the judge wanted it. Others are saying the judge has to be uh, a plant, has to be there for Alex Jones, because this is so absurd. It's so preposterous. It cannot but get overturned on appeal. Uh, Robert, I mean, uh, the the triple fakey false flag one thing. This is over the top, is it not? Or is it? I mean, it's utterly absurd. It's utterly absurd. It is the biggest verdict in the history of libel lawsuits by a ratio of about 100x. So it's about 100 times bigger than any kind of verdict like this ever. And again, most of the people who recovered uh, damages, all but one, I believe, that recovered damages in this case, Alex Jones never talked about ever, uh, including the FBI guy who didn't lose anybody at Sandy Hook, who admitted on the stand, we covered it live, admitted on the stand that uh, he didn't know, of, uh, he had never seen Alex Jones identify him by photo, by image, by name, nothing. And yet he's allowed $90 million. Uh, I think the, the the worst thing that the FBI agents uh, testified to and admitted to was that the harassment actually started even before Alex Jones covered the story. Completely. Um, and, and that the FBI investigated it and decided there were no criminal charges to be brought, which has to raise a question about exactly how uh, accurate he was in that re- in that information relayed. If people were really harassing an FBI agent to the degree of death threats, things like that, that's a crime. They would have been investigated. They were investigated, apparently, uh, and they would have been prosecuted. They weren't, would suggest that something wasn't quite up. So it's a, a laughably absurd verdict. It's the clown verdict to a clown trial. 
And it should surprise no one, given what a complete crock that trial was. The only kind of person it could shock uh, or not shock is, say, someone who purports to be an independent, big trial, free speech advocate on YouTube and is like, I'm not sure if it's a billion dollars. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, though it, when people had quet, had raised questions, including on our locals board, why I was particularly critical of certain law tubers who chose not to cover this trial and also showed in their other behavior that they're not reliable, not trustworthy people. My view is that if you're going to be an independent commentator, your only utility is to actually be independent. If you're going to be a free speech advocate you and a big trial covered person, you can't ignore the Alex Jones trial and use willful blindness as your excuse for, I'm not sure if a billion dollars is too much or not. That's the kind of person that's like, should I be loyal to someone who gave me my whole channel or not? And so those kind of people, by just random tidbit, don't complain about people asking about uh, who your husband works for if you say that because you're a military spouse, we can't question your commitment to free speech. Also, don't complain about people well, asking for photos if you've got four photos behind you in the video. I'll tell so, you one thing. We're not set aside the YouTube drama, Robert. The the I think everybody set aside the YouTube drama. There were a lot of people who were not following it uh, and equivocating, and also just yeah. If you didn't follow it, it would have been a weird thing. But then to uh, to express an opinion is, is is problematic. It's when people say I didn't follow it, no opinion whatsoever. I, I wonder if David French followed it because he had some strong opinions. Uh, this is what happens when you defame people. Yada yada. Uh, totally bypassing the fact that there was no trial on the merits and the trial on the quantum. Uh, to say Jones had two hands tied behind his back would be an understatement of the millennia. But. This is the issue that also people don't really understand. It's 965 million compensatory damages, not punitive, not, I, I don't know what other types of damages there could be, but not punitive. So Connecticut law, and, there's, and there's no, no, they had no emotional expert that I know of to testify to any emotional damages. They had no reputational damages from an expert that I saw. So again, this is in many states, you wouldn't even be allowed to argue emotional distress if you don't have emotional expert proof. And so the, uh, everything about it was absurd. And so my reason for calling out uh, certain commentators who have failed to cover this case is uh, like legal bites completely failed to cover this case in a meaningful way. Don't pretend you're a free speech advocate because you're not. I call her out to call everybody else out that is taking a neutral Pontius Pilate type position on this. This is as big. You, you cannot claim to be a free speech advocate and say this verdict is OK. You just can't. That there's no honest, credible coverage of this case or review of this case. The verdict itself should scream that out to you, that this is a core uh, attack on free speech in America. This is we, we can write billion dollar checks to people uh, based on speech offending them. I mean, I mean, that that's what Alex Jones is being held responsible for. There's no there was no evidence. That Alex Jones stalked anybody, harassed anybody, talks none of that. The only evidence was Alex Jones spoke out. And because of his speech, we're blaming him for everything else that happened. But let's be clear, they're blaming him for his speech. And it's not a traditional defamation claim at all. It doesn't fit the constitutional defamation at all. So to transition into what appeal rights he has. Uh, so his appeal for the first and core appeal is the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. State courts cannot weaponize state tort law to punish speech. This was the point of New York Times versus Sullivan and its successor cases, including Westboro Baptist. 
the uh, that that's been clear over and over again. So it doesn't matter how you denominate it. Uh, much of the damages, contrary to David French's position, was not actually defamation. It was consumer product damages, even though they weren't alleging any injury from the consumer product. I mean, that, that's how nuts they're trying to take all these other areas of law and find new creative ways to punish dissident speech. And to be clear, the legal theory they had in this case is that if a major incident occurs, that there's now a legally protected safe space, that you cannot comment on that topic if it will upset and offend anybody within that zone of danger, within that legally protected safe space, even if you never talk about them. Doesn't matter if you talk about them. Doesn't matter. It, the constitutional requirement of colloquium is the first thing, is the second thing this violates. So the first constitutional violation is they're simply punishing speech using state tort power, which they legally cannot do. Secondly, if to, to be outside of that, it has to be a classic case of defamation. And that requires that there be a factually false statement about a specifically identified individual that then causes reputational injury. The uh, That wasn't met here. And that they ignored that. And they, the courts have been clear they're ignoring that. They're, they're rewriting the law to say that the constitutional requirement of colloquium is what it's called. People can go back and read the New York Times versus Sullivan case. The second part, everybody thought talks about the actual malice standard. That's only part one of that case. Part two of that case is they said constitutionally there's a requirement of colloquium, which means the statement has to be about that person specifically. So they said in that case it was clear that that individual was within a zone of danger, within a legally protected space, because the statements were made about the police hierarchy, and he was only one of a few, a small group of people that was within that police hierarchy. But Supreme Court said, nope, that's not enough. You have to specifically identify the individual. The Now, you can identify an individual by pointing out their photo. You can identify an individual if they're in such a small group that there's no doubt it's about that person. So let me give an example. Let's say somebody says law tube is filled with a bunch of loser grifters that don't know anything, et cetera. Can Viva sue? No, there's too many law tubers. But what if they said Viva and Barnes are a bunch of, are, are lied about, blah, 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 blah. Well, then either one of us can sue because they, they, that's a specifically small enough group, right? Or the five people on the Ricada channel on day X did something false. Well, that's a small enough group. The old case is New York. Uh, the case came out of New York. They two different lies were told about Macy's employees. One lie was about a group of Macy's employees that only had less than 25 workers in it. The other part had a department that had more than 100. The court said, more than 100? No way you can sue. Less than 20? Okay, we can see that. Problem here is the number of people within the legally protected Sandy Hook safe space, again, including FBI agents, was thousands of people. That because they claim that it, you didn't have to be someone who died. You just had to know someone who died. You didn't even have to know someone who died. You just had to have some connection to it. Uh, just be an agent there, investigated it, talked about it. Well, that's thousands and thousands of people. That has never been allowed in the history of libel law because it violates the constitutional requirement of colloquium. So that's his second grounds to object to all of this. The other grounds include complete denial of his right to trial by jury, misuse of what's called the death penalty default judgment, which stripped him of his right to trial by jury and due process of law. Then you have violations of misapplying the consumer product statute to something that doesn't concern consumer products. Then you have all of the evidentiary violations that occurred in this case. As Norm Pattis said, in studying all the cases he studied and being part of all the cases he's been part of, no case in Connecticut has ever done what this court did at any level. 
And this included ridiculous interpretations of the rules of evidence. And that's why I call out, if you're going to purport to be an independent legal commentator defending free speech, you lose all credibility with me when you don't cover the Alex Jones trial. You lose what a little tiny bit might be left when you're not sure if a billion dollar verdict is absurd. Uh, for all, the, I don't take any legal commentator anywhere seriously that thinks a billion dollar verdict is just fine it's, or is not sure if it's bad. It's laughably people, absurd and everybody knows it. People have to appreciate it. it's It's compensatory damages. So they had to show the damages for which they're being compensated $90 million for the FBI With agent. no expert about emotional harm, no expert about reputational harm. I mean, it's unheard of. This is utterly unheard of, utterly unprecedented. You won't find another verdict like this anywhere in the history of the world. It, it's, we, a, it's 100 times larger, the average. And I can tell you from focus groups and jurors, it's about uh, 100,000 times larger than the average jury verdict was given when they heard both sides. So that's why they had to rig this trial. This was a show trial. It was a with a clown judge, which resulted in a clown verdict. And it's a disgrace to the rule of law. But on, here's the hurdle. All the law is on Alex Jones' side, but few of the judges are. So the, unless a lot of noise is raised in the court of public opinion, the Connecticut Court of Appeals, the Connecticut Supreme Court, the Austin Court of Appeals will do nothing about this. They've already eviscerated his rights in prior cases. They've created, like everybody said, hey, can we use the Alex Jones precedent to go after all these other people? I guarantee you they'll suddenly rediscover the law. This will all be Alex Jones exceptions to the rules of evidence, to the rules of due process, to the rule of trial by jury, to the right of freedom of speech. And if anybody had any doubt what the purpose of this, and remember folks out there, over 90% of the people who suffered a traumatic loss at Sandy Hook have never blamed Alex Jones, have never sued Alex Jones, never sued the gun company. This is a tiny, politically active group. And if you had any doubt about that, and by the way, Norm Pattis was denied the right to cross-examine them on this political bias. Wasn't even allowed to say the words Hillary Clinton in trial when she was the reason for this whole lawfare being instigated and initiated and originated in the first place. But if you had any doubt about it, just like the plaintiff's lawyer in Texas, plaintiff's lawyer walks out and is he looking at collecting money? No. He says, hey, everybody out there, stop supporting Alex Jones. Don't give any more money to InfoWars. Don't give any money to Alex Jones. Now, why would you do that if your point was to recover for real damages of your clients? Never seen a plaintiff's lawyer do that in my life. Why? Because this whole case was about suppressing, silencing, censoring, shaming the independent populist dissident voice that they hate. Okay. Uh, the grounds of appeal. Uh, let's just say, uh, as far as the colloquium, or the, you know, we don't know who they were, who was being referred to in the statements. If I put them on a hierarchy, I, I would put that one a little lower because there are only so many parents of Sandy Hook. It's true down but to the extent that- Right. Then the FBI guy's got to be. Well, that, now that's, the, re, that's when they the sibling, open. I mean, do you include the siblings or not? The, the, the issue is there's no doubt, there's no dispute factually that he didn't identify any of almost any of these people. By With name. the exception of Robbie Parker, who got the biggest award of 120 million. Correct. And, and only in one context, because they're suing him for a bunch of other statements. Ninety nine percent of his statements didn't concern uh, uh, Robbie Parker. So the and then in the Texas case, he never referred to either one of those. So historically, it's been if you don't refer to them, it has to be in. They have to be of such a small group. The, the parents don't even count because the, it's, the limit has usually been 20 to 25. And here's the way to think of it. The idea is that the reference is so obvious to that person, even because they're of such a small group, that everybody knows who you're talking about. 
The problem here is they didn't even know who these parents were. They didn't even know who these people were. The excuse of the Texas Court of Appeals was, in Austin, was, well, maybe they could find him on the Internet. And it's like, hold on a second. That's never been our standard, that you can look up and research and independently investigate who the statement might possibly refer to. That's never been the claim. So that the constitutional requirement of colloquium is from a is his strongest argument from it because it's a federal issue. It's a constitutional issue. It's an issue that the U.S. Supreme Court can get involved in. A lot of the other claims are specific to Texas or Connecticut law. My issue, Robert, with the colloquium is that that, as a matter of fact, will be relatively easy for them to say, well, there there were only uh, only there were 20 some odd victims. Therefore, when he says they were crisis actors, he can only be referring to the parents of 20 some odd siblings. And that's that's well over that's well over the 25 max historically of of those well over the 25 max. That's the issue. And so that that's why they they knew from day one they had a major hurdle. That how do you sue for defamation when you when you're not referenced and when you're a part of a group that's too big historically? So I'll give you an example. I had a sufficiently small number of Covington kids that were specifically identified by photo. Could I have sued for all 80 Covington kids that were there that day? No. And everybody agreed. No, uh, it was only the people that were identified by image because that's how. remember the Kentucky Fried Chicken case. Mm-hmm. There are only like 20, uh, uh, 25, 30 Kentucky Fried Chickens they could have been referring to. But that 25 has been the cap, and often they've gone below that. And, and the reason they've gone below that is it's got to be obvious the group is so small that you can't help but think, oh, that's a reference to that person. And the problem is that that just wasn't there because not only that, these people weren't publicly known or identified uh, as well. So, you know, if you'd put them up by photo, if you'd uh, otherwise, then there's a different argument. But the that wasn't the case here. And then that was the problem. So you have the Robbie Parker case, which could be separated out. But then it should be only that statement about Robbie Parker, not all the statements that are just about Sandy Hook in general. Uh, and in none of it justifies compensatory damages. This makes our American civil court system look like a joke. Look well, like it, a the, the one thing is a billion dollars. Yeah. Divided among 16 plaintiffs. OK, so it's only one hundred and twenty million for defamation and intention. IIED still preposterous. Robert, uh, what I love also, though, is the people out there who, who are, you know, clamoring. Stephen Goldstein. Jones would not provide discovery, yada, yada. David and Robert are in the same boat. They will not follow discovery. Well, Stephen, following your last thread of a, of a message, I hope you have a billion dollars. Unless you think that, you know, you're, people, some people get to say whatever they want and others don't. And also- Anybody who watched the trial could see that the default death penalty sanction was ludicrous. Uh, so the, uh, because the plaintiffs had all the evidence they ever needed. In fact, they had more evidence. And I'll say this again, Alex Jones produced more discovery than any media defendant in the history of libel law. But someone's going to find an analogous case where somebody was issued a death penalty default judgment. I've challenged lawyers to do it. They haven't been able to find one in the history of America. Well, that, that, that part, I, I don't think it's a matter of fact. If anybody finds a decision where a media defendant was death penaltyed a default verdict for not turning over discovery documents, fine. Robert, what people will say, and it's the rebuttal, you could turn over 10,000 documents. If you don't turn over one, and it's the critical one, I still don't matter. think... That's never grounds for default. It's not a ground for the court to strip you of your right to trial by jury. The, it ha- they would have to, they have to find ex- extraordinary, ev- extraordinary claims. It has to be default death penalty sanction is considered for people who are not participating in the proceedings, number one. No, so clearly that what didn't apply here. Alex Jones sat for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Of deposition they, it is true that they they deposed him even after the default verdict. 
Yeah, exactly. Multiple times. I mean, I mean, so it was just absurd. The uh, so that's part one. Part two is there has to be a strict connection and no lesser remedy. There, there was no strict connection. I mean, what was it they didn't have? They, they, they didn't identify anything at trial they didn't have. They well, they, had they, every they, possible. They knew how much money he made, uh, how much gross revenue came in Infowars by date and time, by date and time. So the what they did is they uh, the what for those that don't know how they got to default judgment was give us the evidence that you're guilty. No, I'm not guilty. I'm innocent. Aha! You have denied us the evidence that you're guilty. We hereby declare you guilty by default. That's what happened. Uh, that's what was always going to happen because their fake case, supposedly about fake news, was in fact a fake case. They were blaming Alex Jones for things he was not responsible or accountable for. And they, the goal is to weaponize the legal system to suppress, censor, uh, uh, independent, dissident speech. And it, they will never apply this Alex Jones precedent to anybody on their side of the political aisle ever, but they may apply it to others on the Alex Jones side and people, you know, the, and I think the other disturbing thing about this martyr made, made this point on Twitter. And I increasingly agree this, I, this idolatry of victimhood that this case also celebrated, which was, Hey, I suffer a terrible tragedy. Now I get to tell you what you can do. Now I get to line my pockets with your money. I'm morally superior now. You can't question my case. You can't question my judgment. You can't question my action. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the king victim. This is a dangerous ideology, a dangerous idolatry that uh, uh, undermines society's core values, and we should reject it outright. Uh, just reading some of the chat. Now, Robert, okay, so setting aside the legal, the legal standard of appeal on that one question, colloquium. Eighth Amendment violations? Is that even conceivable in this context? I mean, it has not so much. It wasn't technically a fine. It was a civil judgment. So it's a first. It's still more of a First Amendment issue. It's the misapplication of these laws to reach speech that violate the First Amendment. So the broad one is the first one is colloquium. The second one is a broad category that this is the state courts weaponizing state torts to punish speech in violation of the First Amendment in a way that is not carved out uh, uh, that there's no exception to. And so that's the big constitutional claims. There is also the right to trial by jury and the right to due process of is law. That, is that the not the strongest grounds for appeal? Like one of the reasons, at least in Quebec, uh, you know, judges don't like dismissing cases until they go to the merits is it makes it so much easier to appeal. This, I never even got to a hearing on the merits. This judge default verdict and stripped. Is that not the, the, the strongest grounds for appeal? Like they would have to show clear and unequivocal evidence that would justify the judge imposing that sanction. Because it requires a deep dive factually, it tends to be a less uh, appealing appellate issue. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the, the misuse and abuse of default power is a major problem uh, here, but the courts are less likely to jump in as they are on the First Amendment issue. Because the, first, the size and scale of the verdict uh, is uh, embarrassing to the judiciary. Uh, because this makes it look like our American legal system is a complete crock. Nobody thinks anybody suffered $100 million in damages because of what Alex Jones said. That, that requires ludicrous logic. Um, and to give an idea, less than one out of 10,000 jurors were of that inclination. They managed to stack and rig the case in such a way that they could induce that outcome. But the uh, uh, So I think those aspects... Uh, are the real constitutionally attractive issues for the courts to be concerned about. What are the limits? Because there are no limits put here and our traditional constitutional limits were eviscerated. But he also has the federal constitutional issues of trial by jury and due process of law, 
also state constitutional issues of, of trial by jury and, and a range of other issues. Uh, the statute of limitations was not enforced here. The, that, that's both a due process issue and a statutory issue. Uh, and then there's all the violations of the rules of evidence, a range of violations on jury instructions, a range of, if there was a rule to be violated, the judges in these cases violated them. They were obsessed with a symbolic, shambolic verdict against Alex Jones that would scare and terrorize his supporters from ever supporting him again and from him from and anybody like him from rising up. That That's what the case was about. It was open and overt. It was not about comp, really about compensation. In his opening statement, the, the, the plaintiff's lawyer made clear what he was there for. Give a big enough verdict so that Alex Jones can never be on the air again. That's the, that was the goal. People are asking this, you know, is Alex going to be able to survive this? Will it deter people from, I mean, the thing is the money that he makes, it's not from, it's not from super chats and it's not, I guess it's not so much from donations. So it's not like people are going to say, I'm going to stop donating because that's not primarily where it comes from product sales and whatever. And people are still going to buy it because they're still going to get a product for it. Uh, it, it, have you noticed any deterrence on, on a, a fan base to say, any money we give him is now going to go to pay these families. So let's stop supporting Alex, you know, to some extent. Yeah. He's fought back against that directly because any money that comes into Infowars just keeps Infowars on the air. If there's any excess profits, then the families can profit from that excess profits, but there hasn't been a lot of excess profits. So the, uh, so his goal is just to keep Infowars on the air. Uh, any way, shape, or form, while he fights this through the appellate courts and the court of public opinion, and the uh, that's uh, uh, I think they were hopeful the verdict would be so big that it would shut down Infowars. That's not going to happen. In fact, the irony is this: Jones would have retired several years ago, but for this case, he was you know he was kind of exhausted. He'd, he'd done a lot of work over a quarter century, achieved a lot, and he was ready to just uh, you know just to say, "Hey, I've done great work. Good luck, everybody." But because they tried to silence him, because they tried to censor him, because they tried to shame his audience for supporting him, is why now he'll never go away. And they're right. In the end of the day, Alex Jones is uncancelable, and they'll discover that the hard way. Let's see this here. Uh, it's those colonial silver junkies supporting him. By the way, great stuff uh, to keep you not safe. No and medical advice. Silverware. So you silver. I mean, you know, silver's been around for centuries. It's something that's good for you. Yes, but you know, Robert, you eat off silverware. You don't eat silverware. So just so that everyone, there's no medical advice here. Uh, But hold on, I had one more question about Alex Jones. So compensatory damages, no limits. Uh, Not that it makes a difference on this amount. Are there? Is there a cap on punitive damages under Connecticut? Like it's a factor of the compensatory damages. There is in certain cases. There is uh, not in this bogus consumer fraud case they brought. So we'll see how much of a joke the judge is. Does she issue some ludicrous punitive damages award to show how much she was in on this fraud on the American people? And uh, it, it, but I think you know, a lot of people thought maybe I was exaggerating or overstating the case. Now they realize I was, if anything, understating the case. That this this case is a direct threat on free speech, a direct threat on dissident opinion, the continued weaponization of our legal system to suppress and oppress voices. It's not new. Uh, during the civil rights era, American courts in the South did everything they could to shut up the civil rights movement. That was why New York Times versus Sullivan went up. They went after Westboro Baptist because they didn't like their opinions. That got a crazy $77 million verdict that got the Supreme Court's attention to being like, uh-uh, no more of this. So the size and scale and scope of the verdict is a is such a big warning sign. You saw people like MIA and others be like, 
hold on a second. This seems a little nuts. I, 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 not, not that I, I'm not citing people on the left as, as authority. I'm just citing people who are on the far left, Vouch, laughing his ass off. Everybody's, it's, it's hilarious. It, in the insanity of a $1 billion judgment, even if it's divided among 16 plaintiffs, everybody knows that it's absurd. It's just that some people who are present in the chat love this injustice so they can use it to threaten other people to shut them up. So, oh, I hope you have a billion. That's the new standard. $120 million. Uh, anybody want to, you know, question or ask questions about the Armenian genocide? $100 million. Something that is in, hurts people's feelings who have suffered from a tragedy? $100 million. That's the new standard. And, and people love it because they think that the rules are only going to apply to their idea, you know, to them, to punish their ideological adversaries, and they can continue calling Trump a Nazi, a rapist, and whatever, and that's it. That's how it's going to work. Anything else on Alex Jones before we mosey on over, people, to the Rumble side? Nothing yeah, no, because uh, this is probably good to transition to Rumble. The only people that are responsible for billions of dollars of damages is a certain drug company promoting a certain product. <laughs> Well, that's, that wasn't the segue I was going to go for, but that's a good one. Everybody, hold on. Did I miss a few super chats? Uh, what hap- uh, this is what happened to Remington default judgment, which is why they settled their suit. Um, I, I don't know. I still don't understand why the insurance companies agreed to pay the maximum as opposed to litigating for potentially less. Razor Fist released a rant defending Alex Jones. He says that this will be used to go against opposing voices. Obviously, they're doing it already on social media. It's become a meme. I hope you have a billion dollars to say something like that. Uh, there has to be a way to sanction the judge. She has to face some consequences. Same way, some way has to be found. She can only be impeached, Robert. I mean, that, that's the um, that's the only. Oh yeah, Connecticut's a corrupt state, so don't well, expect anything there. Razor Fist gave a righteous rant. He mentioned that topic briefly as part of it too. By the way, all right, now we're going to remove it from uh, YouTube. Bring it over to the Rumbles, and I'll post the entire stream tomorrow on YouTube. I'm one day behind, so I've got to post yesterday's stream today after this. Removing. Three, two, one, and now we're on. Uh, we're on Rumble. So while people while people start to trickle in, Robert, d- before we get to the bi- the 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 the, billi- the the companies that have been making billions, putting out false. Okay, let's do it first, Robert. No, 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 no. Let's do Stossel first because this is where you know the rules don't apply to both sides. Jones uh, denied a jury trial. Uh, you know, denied. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the. I have to analogize this some way. Well, basically, everything everything he said, taken for granted, false, defamatory, infliction of emotional distress. Despite him being media talking about issues of public discussion, whereas John Stossel, for anybody who doesn't know, the reporter who, you know, libertarian. I wouldn't call him left, and I've been corrected for having called him left. Libertarian of spirit, uh, independent minded was fact check fact checked on two occasions on two different stories on Facebook. Uh, one of them had to do with the forest fires not being entirely because of uh, climate change. Fact check, missing context, downgraded, demoted. I think he might have been penalized on Facebook. He sued for defamation on the basis that Facebook and their third-party fact checkers are in fact not third-party fact checkers whatsoever. They, they contract with one another. They are basically a single entity with two heads. Uh, that they defamed and maligned a journalist by saying that his journalism, missing context, inaccurate, slap a label on it, malign him, he sues. They got the lawsuit dismissed on both a motion to dismiss, uh, it's, a, it's for failure to state a claim, 12B, 
and an anti-slap where they said, uh, I, I, and I'm, I'll, pull up the, I'll pull up the highlight. I shared it on Locals and tweeted it. The judge literally said, when the fact checkers um, purport to fact check, it doesn't follow that what they state thereafter is, uh, is, a, is an, what's the word? Is an action of actual. Yeah, it's not an actionable statement of fact. So when they say it's missing context and it's factually incorrect or whatever, that's an argument. It's not an actionable statement of fact, as in calling someone, uh, you know, accusing someone of a specific type of crime. Uh, and they won on the anti-slap where they said it's, it's a First Amendment issue. It's an issue of national importance. And uh, they're entitled to speak their mind, which is what they're doing by slapping on these fact checks on stories. With, with, with prejudice. So he cannot even refile subject to appeal. Robert, what's your take? Well, it is a great contrast because, you know, Alex Jones statements were basically your classic opinion statements, but they're all labeled factual statements. Here you have statements that are self-described as factual statements being declared as can't be factual. So the court's obligation is not to decide whether the court thinks the statement is factual or not. It's whether a reasonable juror could infer a factual statement being made about Stossel. And the idea, this is like what we said in the Candace Owens case, the idea that you can call something a fact check and nothing about it could possibly be concluded by any reasonable juror to infer any kind of fact shows you how just politically biased and prejudiced these courts are. And it's, it's worse than that. I'll, I'll pull up just the highlight. Just people can read this here. Let's, let's see here. Uh, as is evident, and we're on the second page here, as is evident from the text associated with the label place on the fire video, quote, missing context means that, quote, independent fact checkers say this information is missing context and could mislead people, end quote, simply because the process by which content is assessed and a label applied is called a, quote, fact check does not mean that the assessment itself is an actionable statement of objective fact. That is what you call judicial mental gymnastics. And, oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. I mean, Robert, the problem is they're, they're calling these things fact checks, which by definitions they're claiming they're making a statement of fact about other facts. That the, and, and they're pretending that isn't that no reasonable juror could possibly draw that conclusion. Does anybody think people who read fact checks think they're reading something that has nothing to do with facts? The, well, that, that, the, it's just the opposite. And then the judge just doesn't want these people sued by conservatives. And just and, like the Delaware court. You reminded me of what I was going to say. It's not just that it's laughable mental gymnastics on its face. It's that the fact checkers then take their non-actionable statements of fact and then invoke the fact that it's a fact check to sanction, penalize, and deplatform people. So it goes beyond it being, in fact, in my humble opinion, an actual actionable statement of fact. They penalize, sanction, and punish people over it. And some platforms might have even thought they can fine you for it. So they get, they get to suck and blow. They get the best of both worlds. It's a non-actionable statement of fact. It's not a statement of fact. Yet they get to invoke it to downrank penalize and deplatform people because it's factually, you know, fact check is being wrong. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a pattern. Rachel Maddow gets to walk because it can't be factual. Uh, these fake fact checkers get to walk from Candace Owens and Stossel because it can't be factual. But the guy that we all know is the most opinionated guy around Alex Jones, everything he says is magically factual.
I mean, it, n nothing could show the hypocrisy and the duplicity of judges in courts in these cases. Um, here, I'll, I'll read some rumble rants afterwards. I'm just going to continue to screen grab them. So that's stalls. So oh, yeah. What do you? Yeah, for everybody, you can submit your rumble rants. We'll do a separate video Monday covering any that we don't cover tonight. So send in those rumble rumble rants while you still can. <laughs> well, that, I, we can do that. I know a lot of other channels do it. I, I it could be a fun. Yeah, I figure might do. as well because I see it. Uh, a lot of people like it. And so it's a way to get your, if you send in a rubble rant, your question will get answered just in a separate video. We'll pre-record tomorrow. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah. Or, or it'll be like a locals exclusive where we go over the rumble rants. Um, okay. Robert, that's also, what do you think the chances are on appeal? I, I forget the jurisdiction now. This was New York. Was this New York? I thought it was California. I thought it was federal court in California. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, if you had to guess any chance on appeal, uh, well, you know, or these... it's, it's, it's Candace Owens case is going up. This case is going up. Uh, we'll see what happens. Candace Owens cases, I think are in the Delaware court system. The, uh, the, I think Stossel's case will be up the ninth circuit to probably depend on the draw in part, but you know, they, they're, they're announcing contradictory standards and, uh, every lawyer should raise the Alex Jones parallel. You know, make these courts be honest. Oh, that's just an Alex Jones exception. We just wanted to screw him, so we screw the law to get him. The uh, uh, you know, confront him with it. I mean, my Kentucky Covington kids case. I got to take the Kentucky Supreme Court because the Kentucky Court of Appeals thinks that lying about kids in Kentucky uh, with a pub with a brought with a publication published in Kentucky of intended to cause them harm in Kentucky isn't a Kentucky tort. How do you how do you get to that? Uh, well, what a crock. What a disgrace the Kentucky Court of Appeals are. But that shows you where these uh, judges are. It depends. You, you can predict whether you'll win or lose based on the politics of the party, period. When it comes to libel and defamation, that's it. And you're right. It was the Northern District of California. Yeah. Uh, Robert, let's now get to the, 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 the people who rake in billions, the record profits. And when they say, when they say, Albert Bourla, I'm looking at you. South African study, 100% effective at preventing cases in South Africa, 100%. And now the gaslighting media of the, of the, of the week, of the month the is- Fact checkers. Yeah, the same fact checkers who lie a lot and get to hide behind judges who say, yeah. oh, no one could think what you're saying is factual. Yeah. No, the, the, the fact check of the week of the month is, no one ever said it would prevent transmission. It was only supposed to reduce severity of symptoms and hospitalizations. Bull crap. I- Rachel Maddow said it. Joe Biden said it. Albert Bourla said it. And we, we have the video and we have the tweets. And yet they nonetheless come out and say, you, you, you must have been hearing things. Oh, when I said it was 100% effective at preventing cases, I meant cases of severe symptoms. I meant cases of hospital. I didn't mean preventing transmission. You're the idiot for misreading that. Uh, and you're the idiot for uh, understanding that to be the reason for compelling these mandates ostensibly for the purposes of you need to do it to prevent transmission. Even if you're not at risk, you don't want to kill granny. But Robert, we saw the admission that we saw coming out of the European parliament is not the admission that we all saw. It was, you know, better than anybody you've been representing Brooke Jackson. Uh, they said it would prevent transmission. I, I, I'm not, I'm not hallucinating. I'm not going crazy. Well, that's the, what efficacy means. I mean, so the FDA has been telling everybody, Pfizer has been telling everybody that the COVID vaccines are have high rates, are safe and effective. Well, what does effective mean? It means that it prevents transmission of the disease. That's the definition of efficacy for a vaccine. There's no other definition. 
So when they kept saying it has a high level of efficacy, that it's safe and effective, they were lying because their own internal test didn't even figure out whether it prevented transmission or not, which, which uh, tells you what a complete crock it was. And they're never, only hiding behind various forms of immunity. I'm looking at the possibility of bringing a false advertising case as well against Pfizer for people who've suffered injury because they believe the statements that Pfizer was making. Pfizer's running ads right now promoting this drug as effective when they admit they have no clue whether it's effective because they never tested whether it was effective but, to the European authorities. Robert, what the hell were they testing if not the effectiveness? I mean, I, I, it's, I, I feel they stupid asking the question. They profitability. That's what they were testing. <laughs> no, but sure. I mean, surely, Robert, and I'm going to call you Shirley. They were testing something. What were they? What were they testing when they well, had the, their the tests? Were uh, I mean, that's what Brooke Jackson exposed. The, 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 everything about the clinical testing was ridiculous. I mean, I mean, they, they they couldn't get accurate data because they weren't doing the things you have to do to make sure you get adequate data. I mean, you literally had needles sticking out of bags. You had people's private medical information tattooed on the walls. You had vials not kept at the right temperature. You had adverse events not being monitored or properly reported. So you know what they were. You know, what it was solely for show. Let let's say we did a clinical trial, and let's say it's safe and effective, and we'll and the FDA will go along with us, and we'll get billions of dollars because we have legal immunity. We don't care, right? I mean, this is the problem with legal immunity. When you give big anybody immunity, then you uh, invite criminality, and that that's what happened. You know, it's just like you don't give a sweetheart immunity deal in a criminal case to someone who's innocent. You give it to someone who's guilty. That's the only person who needs an immunity deal. So uh, more often, I mean, it really needs it. I mean, there's some people that fear the government and so forth, but putting that aside, that's what Pfizer was up to. And so they were engaging in the greatest public health crime in world history. And uh, they're only going to get away with it because the politicians in the courts let them get away with it. But what they admitted in Europe was a shock to many people because many people were like, hold on a second. I thought you told me it was effective. I the only reason I would take the vaccine is if it prevented transmission. I wouldn't take the vaccine if it didn't immunize against anything, if it didn't inoculate. Because what is something, by the way, legally, that reduces uh, severity of cause, of consequence? I, I know this one, teacher. I believe that's called a therapeutic. Exactly. Not a vaccine. Well, and, Not a and vaccine. Dr. Dr. Kieran Moore out of Ontario referred to it as a therapeutic when he was acknowledging that it also caused uh, myocarditis in one in 5,000 uh, of a certain age demographic, young men. Uh, the same doctor now who says, you might, Ontario, you might be going back to mask mandates in the fall if it is the fall. Holy crab apples. Uh, in the winter, if things get bad enough in our healthcare system, which has been overloaded for decades, gets overloaded again. So it, it, the experiment worked so well the first time, we're going to do it again. That's, that's science. But he referred to it as a therapeutic for the YouTube overlords, not me, Dr. Kieran Moore. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to get away with it. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll keep fighting back against it, but it was a, a, another extraordinary admission. And we'll see what the, uh, whether there's any consequences for a company that's causing actual billions of dollars in damages, as just measured by their own profits in the case. because yeah, I'll tell you, everyone has heard my justifications rational or irrational for which I got it, which was I played with the kids in the daycare park, in the park, the kids from the daycare. I didn't want to be the, the, what is it? The fringe minority with unacceptable view YouTuber or crazy guy who infects a bunch of kids. That was my rationale from the beginning. 
and I said, I'll take whatever chances, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a healthy, I'm a healthy man. I like to think I haven't suffered any problems, but I'll take my chances, but I don't want to be blamed for having transmitted the virus to children in a daycare that would, you know, that would, people would never stop, uh, you know, calling for my head. That was the rationale. If they lied to me, then, oh, I might just piss and moan about it and, you know, not be able to do anything else like the rest of the world. Okay. Robert, what, what do we, what do we go to from here? Well, speaking of rogue courts, a state court in Alaska, thanks to a board member at vivabarneslaw.locals.com who brought it to my attention. If you ever want to reach me, that's the only place where I regularly and customarily read and review every post made. We uh, have a, uh, uh, it's like Lake Wobegon, as Garrison Keeler described it. Everybody at our board is above average. And the uh, a state court in Alaska is deciding that it's going to unilaterally remove an Alaskan state legislator because that he's in the Oath Keepers. And it's so, it, it, this is why I said from day one, this misuse of this 14th Amendment insurrection clause was very dangerous, that no way did our uh, consti- the constitutional framers intend that clause. And this was a clause put in after the Civil War solely for purposes of excluding people who had been actively fighting the United States Army from being in a position of governing power. That was it. Very limited group. Multiple amnesties were ultimately issued to them. Almost everybody considered it dead and moribund. They only tried to resurrect it once before. They tried to resurrect it during World War I, during a great purge of dissident opinions, when they locked up Eugene V. Debs for speaking out against the draft. And they went after a congressman, I think it was Victor Berger, and and a socialist from Milwaukee. That was a big German socialist population back then in Milwaukee. And uh, tried to use the sedition provision against him. As the early court decisions emphasize, this is either doesn't apply or it's extraordinarily limited and can't apply to these set of facts. Here you have a guy who wasn't even at the Capitol on January 6th, hasn't been charged with anything. He wasn't even at the Capitol. He saw Trump's speech. He never went down to the Capitol. He's part of Oath Keepers, which, you know, Steve Deese, who we interviewed, he's a member of Oath Keepers. That's a massive organization. Yeah, let me stop you there because... At the risk of defending a nasty organization, what's wrong with the? I'm an ignorant Canadian. I looked up uh, the Oath Keepers summarily on Wikipedia, summarily through its founder, uh, Rhodes. What's wrong with? They're not a designated terrorist organization in the states, are they? Or a designated insurrectionist organization? What's What's wrong with the Oath Keepers? Sincere I mean, I'll question. Tell, I'll tell the locals chat uh, that those photos make me want to fish, but uh, that's just for the. Folks, at we have a live chat going at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. The Oath Keepers are, are mostly a religious, moral-based organization, some of whom are politically active. It's about keeping your oath. It's about honoring, hence Oath Keeper. Keeping, it was a religiously, you know, the University of Colorado head coach, ex-head coach was a prominent uh, person in it. That's what it was, mostly about a moral movement to return to original values, your duties, as a as a husband, your duties as a father to honor those to to keep that oath. It has it, it. They have portions that are politically active, but even though, again, there's just a tiny minuscule percentage. And they got these. It's similar to the Alex Jones trial. Alex Jones trial had all these fake experts. You know, I'm an expert in uh, domestic terrorism. Da, da, da. And they're they're not. They're just deep state hacks or or fake like expert media experts. They're just dimwits. The same thing here. They had these experts from some community college someplace who said, I'm an expert in terrorism, and anybody part of the Oath Keepers is a terrorist. This is, by the way, why controversially, 
some of my friends on the right, I don't like anti-terror laws. These laws are an invitation to abuse for politically motivated purposes and almost always end up that way. Somebody commits a crime or is conspiring to commit a crime, we got plenty of laws to deal with it. We don't need to add in new laws that allow us to strip people of their political rights based on politically dissident opinions, which is how they're always misused and abused. Patriot Act being a classic illustration of that. But that, that that's the basis of it. So it, it's a patently. But so why is this even happening? It's be happening because courts are saying, oh, I can use this insurrection clause to get rid of the political people I don't like. And this is why the Supreme Court, somebody's got to step in and shut this nonsense down now. The um, it's a funny thing in, in Canada, they declared um, not the Oath Keepers, the other one. Uh, Proud Boys. Proud Boys. They declared Proud Boys a terrorist organization. I, I, I've never heard of the Proud Boys until they did this. Uh, I have never heard of the Proud Boys carrying out any act of terrorism, let alone really any violent public act. I set aside fights and protests and whatever. Never heard of it. Never heard of any incident. But under Canadian law, it becomes much easier to unilaterally, you know, bypass certain uh, safeguards and seize the assets of designated terrorist organizations. I, I presume you have similar was, laws in the States. It was always going to be abused. And people took the bait because it, if it involved Iran or if it involved Hezbollah or it involved Al Qaeda. And I was like, uh, uh-uh, we should not let, allow the, our law to get breached like this because they're going to misuse and abuse this power. And now people are witnessing it in lifetime. Hopefully the, the Supreme, it'll take the Supreme Court really to fix this probably to take up one of these cases and make clear, no, you can't disqualify someone based on this misapplication of insurrection and stop it for good. Otherwise, what you have are judges overruling elections unilaterally based on their own personal political biases. Well, it's a good segue into the next segment, Robert, which is going to be um, Donald Trump's response to the January 6th subpoena. But before we even get there, it's a good segue segue into what happened to Robert Gavea this week on YouTube, because I'm going to read from his letter. And YouTube, when you see this tomorrow, uh, I hope you've learned your lesson about striking a channel from re- for reading from legal proceedings if those legal proceedings contain allegations which you would think violated community guidelines if they were made as a statement of fact by the content creator making those statements. Gavea, for those of you who don't know, watching The Watchers, great, great stuff, great analysis, um, was reading Donald Trump's defamation lawsuit. And I think he got dinged on medical misinformation because the lawsuit makes certain allegations as to why Donald Trump was defamed, et cetera. And they gave him a strike for reading. I don't even know if it was analyzing and I don't even think it was affirming. In fact, I'm certain it wasn't because I double checked with, with Robert in any event. Reading from court proceedings, which make allegations, which are by definition not proven fact, merely position party affirmations, they struck him. Uh, and then, you know, the YouTube community came out and said, Undo this because this is bullcrap. You can't penalize content creators for reading from legal proceedings. I mean, I guess you could if you want to be censorship, if you want to censor. But let's just, let's and, just. Uh, I do love the uh, the top part. The, the what? Oh, the top part. Hold on a second. Let me see this here. <sighs> Donald J. Trump, October 13, 2022. Peacefully and patriotically. When Nancy Pelosi talks about punching Donald Trump in the face and she'll go to jail and she'll be happy, that's, that's forget yeah. her. She's a crazy it's By lady. contract. And what he's reminding everybody of is that's what he said for people to do going down to the Capitol. He said, he said fight like hell, peacefully, peacefully and patriotically. Uh, <laughs> we won't go through the whole thing. The same I love the all caps, too. <laughs> the presidential election 
of 2020, making it, I, I'm only saying what Donald Trump said was rigged and stolen. The same group of radical left Democrats who utilized their majority position in Congress to create the fiction of Russia, 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 impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, $48 million Mueller report. By the way, some people's defense to that, well, they collected $33 million through penalties and whatever. So it was only a net loss of 15, whatever, uh, which ended in no collusion. Ukraine, 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 the atrocious and illegal spying on my campaign and so much more. By the way, we're going to get into this now because there's been another bombshell of the week. Uh, are the people who created this committee of highly partisan political hacks and thugs whose sole function is to destroy the lives of many hardworking American patriots whose records in life have been unblemished until the point of attempted ruination. The double standard of the unselects between what has taken place on the right, capitalized, and what has taken place with the radical left lawless groups such as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and others is startling and will never be acceptable even to those who will be writing the history of what you have done to America. I'll leave it there because that's a mouthful. Robert, they've, they formally, they voted, all nine of those clapping seals have voted yay on a subpoena. He's not going to abide by it. Are they not going to hold him in contempt of Congress just like they did with Bannon and try to go the Bannon way with the president? Is this not another method to get to an indictment of Trump? Well, what he can do is he can challenge it in court, contest it in court, uh, he and then see how that works out, and then uh, then after that he could always show up and take the fifth uh, and the and other grounds, and they can try to use it for whatever political theater they want to. So those those are probably the best options rather than actually you know Trump may be tempted to go in and battle with them in, in testimony, uh, and so the but those those are the options he has available to him. The committee is on its last lifeline. Uh, the the Democrats are going to lose the House. So they got a couple of months left for this community to be alive. And most of that will be in a lame duck session. And so uh, uh, I think that ultimately won't have much consequence on Trump. Uh, because showing up and pleading the fifth, other than being politically, uh, well, let me rephrase it. The, the media would mock it, say he, was, oh, he pleaded the fifth 45th times. Hillary Clinton never pleaded the fifth. She just lied through her teeth. They would use it for media purposes, for, for, for political purposes. But as far as, going after him the way they went after Bannon, they would lose that legal venue. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and then if he goes and tries to talk too much, they'll go the Alex Jones venue and try to hold him in under and, perjury. And or, you know, he may combine every answer with this committee is a lawless committee that has no power <laughs> to hold me here. Uh, I assert the fifth amendment and uh, due to the, my, uh, this committee being a lawless committee and I will assert my rights not to testify before such a lawless committee. But if they can hold him in contempt of Congress for not respecting a subpoena, can they hold him in contempt for showing up and then repeating the same answers if they say, stop saying that? They can't. They can't. You can't uh, hold anyone. I mean, Congress can't. I mean, they can only refer him to the Justice Department anyway. But asserting a privilege can never be contempt. Okay. And if he were to assert that privilege uh, coupled with uh, a judgmental comment, could they say at some point in time, don't stop saying that. And if you do, then uh, we'll refer you to contempt for contempt. Probably not. Uh, and then, Robert, anything, any, anything more on his response to their subpoena before we segue into the next contempt decision? Uh, just briefly that the U.S., as uh, Mike Davis uh, previewed on the Wednesday sidebar, which was great. He's a you know, great, great thinker, uh, great activist in a wide range of areas. I recommend people go back and watch that sidebar if they didn't get the chance to. The uh, 
Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to intervene at this stage of the special master dispute. And now the government is begging the 11th Circuit to throw out the entire thing. They don't want anybody looking at what it is they stole. Um, and But uh, the not, there's not much to read into the Supreme Court not intervening at this stage, because as Davis pointed out, they're most likely to get it involved when it's a ripe record, when there's a Section 41 pleading present that raises all the issues. So I think uh, that's you know, some people were the media tried to make a much bigger deal out of it than it was. All right. Well, let's say on the subject of contempt, Robert, it's one of the stories you read and I, you just can't believe it. It's uh, now I'm going to forget where it was. It was jury selection in what state was it again? I don't remember the state. Oh, I'll get it when we, when we talk about it. Uh, jury selection. And the, the, there's no mask mandate. I'm going to have to go to Twitter and, and see no mask mandate in this particular state. The judge who has a propensity, a proclivity, uh, a fetish, <laughs> uh, insists that prospective jury members, even though there's no mandate that's been lifted in the state, wear their damn mask when addressing uh, his highness. And one prospective juror, they had not even impaneled the jury. They hadn't even gotten down to like any meaningful selection. Uh, I, I guess he refused to wear the mask. I'm going to pull up the, the highlight from this. Refused to wear the mask and was... Was was was? I, I think the state was North Carolina, which sounds right. That sounds right. Okay, good. Was found. The judge held him in contempt, put him in jail for twenty four hours. Uh, the, this man, for anybody who thinks twenty four hours in jail is it's 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 nothing, it's hunky dory. It's a, it's just it's a it's a paid holiday away from the kids. He had a minor kid at home, didn't know what time it was, locked away for twenty four hours for contempt for not putting on a face mask when the judge ordered him to, in the absence of any uh, statewide mandate. Uh, he was on Tucker Carlson. Robert, are there are there details that we're missing that are going to come out to make sense of this story, or have we just gone off the deep end? Well, it's what a lot of. I mean, the the big question is always what happens when it's the judge violating your civil rights, because technically you go back to that same judge. It's a it's a flaw in our system, and this was my concern all the way along. Like you had court systems complicit in vaccine mandates, in mask mandates, and social distancing mandates. And it's like, well, how are you going to adjudicate a civil rights suit about mask mandates, vaccine mandates, or social distancing mandates when you're complicit in it? When by your judging one side, them guilty, you would have to judge yourself guilty. So we didn't, I mean, there are many courts where we had no judges available practically that weren't, conf, weren't completely conflicted. Uh, and so I think this judge violated his civil rights and the way he went about it almost impossible to sue a judge. We create all these special immunities for judges, uh, which I disapprove of, disagree with. And they abuse their, and it, all it does is encourage abuse of uh, their power. They only step down when they get enough blowback in the court of public opinion to do anything about it. And if the higher courts are with them on the area of prejudice, they encourage it, reward it, and often incentivize it. So that, that's what we're seeing is what happens when the courts are the ones violating our rights. And it's, it's something that needs to be looked at from a structural perspective. Some means of challenging the court's misbehavior and rights violations without having to resort to those same courts for remedy. It, Robert, first of all, it was North Carolina. The judge was appointed by uh, former Democratic Governor Bev Perdue. I don't know what. So, what uh, a shock. A, Total <laughs> shock. He's a Democratic judge. So, but uh, um, He's another one judge. of these nut house. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. I've been in front of courts that were demanding I disclose whether I was vaccinated or not. 
uh, demanding I wear this, those ludicrous masks. Man, I have to wear it in a certain way. And I, I was put in a position where, okay, you, you have to protect your client's interest first. So you can't necessarily litigate your personal cause in that context. But there are other courts that are actually mandating vaccines as a condition of access to the courts. Uh, that, and then, so it's like, okay, we want to sue, but we have to sue in that same courthouse. It, it, it's a flaw, a bad flaw in the system. When the courts abuse power, there needs to be a remedy outside of the courts for that. I'm trying to see how old the judge is. Uh, but, but either if a judge is appointed, the only way the judge can be removed, uh, from the bench legally is impeachment, correct? There's no other it, method. It depends on the state, but if they're elected, then sometimes at election, but uh, otherwise usually only impeachment. I can't, I can't find the age. I, I saw one who was to be a hundred years old, but that's because the person uh, had died in 1999. Um, I, I just, I read that story and it's on Fox news and it's not that, you know, it's Fox, so I don't trust it. It's the media, so I say maybe there's something more. Maybe this guy flipped the bird to the judge, and he's not telling that side of the story to Tucker Carlson. And we'll find something uh, out by way of fact that can possibly make sense of the insanity. But thus far, the guy was on Tucker. Uh, Fox News ran the article. Allegedly jailed for not wearing the mask, denied his phone call, did not even to let his minor kid know that he was in jail and then release the next day. So if there's no other facts that are going to make sense of this, that this guy didn't say to Tucker Carlson, madness. Um, And, and, you know, sometimes you can sue the law enforcement involved because law enforcement assumes they're acting at the direction of a judge that they're immune. That isn't always the case. If If there's reasons to believe it's a facially invalid request, the law enforcement officer can be sued as well. So hopefully they seek some sort of legal relief and remedy, uh, and, you know, go maybe to a different courthouse somehow to, to, to get it, maybe a federal court rather than a state court. The, uh, because it's, but it's, it's part of a burgeoning problem. The court's complicity in a lot of these mandates made them in, uh, partial and prejudicial and conflicted uh, adjudicator, adjudicators of this in comparable context. And now there are a bunch of rumble rants. I can't, I, I can't highlight them, and that has to be a function they're going to fix soon. But, um, I'm Either way, we'll get to all of them in a recorded video. Yeah, absolutely. So keep Uh, sending them in. Keep sending those Rumble rants. Well, there's one that says, I don't need... It's a $50 Rumble rant from Medic Deb. says, I don't need to have an opinion to donate to this channel. I do so because I respect the content and trust the host. I feel that I should be able to send money without an opinion. God bless you. Thank you. There's two things. I, I love being called brother, and I love it when people say God bless you, despite not being a particularly religious person. Okay, Robert. I have the list, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're, you're gonna get to it before me. What do we segue into? Uh, the other one that was highlighted on our uh, locals board. Let me look at the. I well, think let's I do, know. you know the, the the pig farmer. The, the pig farming in California came to mind because that's a, a decision. Some of the stuff you send me. Yeah, pig, I'm pig not farming so, is the next highest vote, and then after that, it's the stealing people's houses for taxes. That's another one that I like as well. You send me some stuff, and sometimes I start reading it, and I know I'm just, I'm not, I'm not interested. And I, I'm, I'm going to force myself to know the, you know, as much of the facts as possible. The pig farming one raises a lot of interesting questions. Um, the, the, P- California passes a law or proposition called Proposition 12 or 23, a number, Proposition 12. And it says, we're going to set requirements, conditions, commerce conditions on the type of pork that can be sold in the state of California. We will not sell pork if it comes from conditions in which the pig or the sow, whatever it is, Uh, has had less than a certain amount of square footage to live. We don't want to have inhumane pork products in in, in California. So we passed this Prop 12. 
And the practical effect of this California law is that it effectively restricts or interferes with interstate commerce in that, I don't know, Utah is next door. If they have a pig farmer or a pig producer that doesn't respect these California requirements, California can prohibit the import, the interstate import of pig products from another state. Um, Robert, I, mean, so I, there, there, I, I forget the name of the, the, the legal concept that's at issue, but um, what, what, what's the name of it, the, the, the concept? Ah, it's all about the Commerce Clause. So this is about what they call the Dormant Commerce Clause. Okay, that's it. So the, the Commerce Clause gives the state, gives the federal government and Congress the right to control interstate commerce. And that has often been argued about. My view is the federal government has long exceeded what that role is supposed to be uh, in terms of interstate commerce. But, you know, that ship has partially sailed, not fully, because in the food context in particular, for example, uh, like in my Amos Miller case, the, the, there's statutes that further limit what the regulatory agencies can do. But so the issue is, into, and all those laws kind of interact in a certain way. So the Interstate Commerce Clause is the right of Congress to regulate matters of commerce between the states. The, the Dormant Commerce Clause is called dormant because it says, by inference, states cannot discriminate against other states if it involves interstate commerce. Now, the Dormant Commerce Clause is a very undeveloped doctrine constitutionally. So years ago, that Massachusetts passed a tax uh, that disproportionately impacted out-of-state producers of milk. And the U.S. Supreme Court said that's a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. When I can tell you what its origins were, the Commerce Clause was really intended to prohibit states from tariffing or taxing other states. That was the primary objective. Um, but as the oral argument, fascinating oral argument exposed, if you play this out, it's hard to know where the limit is. So the, the political backdrop of California is here they're regulating pork, what pork can be sold in California. But they did so knowing that almost none of the California pork sold in California is produced in California. So the dirty little secret behind everything is California is deliberately targeting pork made in Iowa and other states. They're trying to use their power over their own consumer market to dictate what Iowa can do in its production of meat. So in that context, it sounds like a classic violation of interstate commerce, discrimination, targeted discrimination. But the historical context has been when you, the, the thought process wasn't this precise context. It was thought that this would be, we want to protect our local butchers. So we're going to put a special tax on beef from outside the state. And like, that's the kind of thing that always mm -hmm. gets struck down. This is in between because the concern is there's a bunch of uh, laws that a state passes that clearly has a disparate and discriminatory impact on other states. And it's when does, when does one state get to use its control over its own consumer market to regulate another state's conduct effectively, uh, in particular California, because of its market scale and size? And they went through a bunch of hypothetical questions. I think it was like a two-hour oral argument. All of, Some of their recent oral arguments have been unusually long. Usually they're 30 minutes, something like that. So the, And it's because and you could tell by the court's questions, they were bothered whichever way they went. They don't want a state to have the power to use control over their own citizens 
to effectively try to punish citizens in another state. Well, at the same time, they don't want to affect because there's so much interstate activity. They don't want to uh, prohibit a state from doing much to control it, uh, what its own people, uh, its own values that its own people recognize. And so it's not. And, you know, Kagan, by the end of oral argument, was saying, well, maybe we'll just throw it back for a trial. And this is really all a balancing test. And maybe we'll just punt this because it's clear well, none of us really want to get involved in deciding where this where the limit is. And so it's uh, that that's where it's at. But it goes to so many other issues. They didn't discuss abortion, but that that's a potential lurking issue. You have Cal- it, it's it's politically on the agenda because California is trying to use its market size, which is very big, to dictate to everybody else. And it's doing it in a wide range of contexts. It's doing it involving, hey, uh, trans child, come here. We'll give you that treatment that's illegal under your own state. Hey, uh, abortion person. If you want an abortion, come to our state. We'll help facilitate it. Maybe we will help pay for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in Illinois, they're setting up abortion, effectively random abortion vans on the border of states that ban abortion. Um, you have, and then you know, California trying to dictate a wide range of things using its market power to do so. That has a lot of other states agitated. A lot of other, in this context, food producers. But the, but do you want to strip a state? Do you want to say that because this will impact another state? in a disparate way. Uh, and that's always been the added component. It can't just impact another state. It has to impact it in a discriminatory manner. Um, then, uh, but the argument here is almost all the pork is produced outside of California. So it's by definition disparate and thus discriminatory. Well, but, but, but some, at least that argument would work for California where they would say, we're not doing it to benefit California since we don't produce that much pork in the, in the first place. This is a legitimate moral issue that we've legislated right. over. But first of all, Katanji Brown, in fairness to her, you know, I thought her question was going to be, how do I define a pig? I'm not a biologist. But no, she actually had a legit question, which was, why not just slap a warning label on it? Like they do with those right. stupid... In the state of California, this backpack is known to call, you know, contain products that, contain, that cause cancer. Uh, why not slap a label on it as opposed to prohibiting the import? And it's interesting about that is that's where they originally settled and compromised on the original regulation of food, drugs, and cosmetics in America. The Meat Act, the Poultry Act, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act was all intended to say, well, we've got these commerce problems. We want to regulate something we are not constitutionally entitled to, and Congress doesn't want to give us the statutory power to. We don't want a super medical agency. We don't want people, we don't want a bunch of federal bureaucrats dictating to you what you can eat and what you can put into your body, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, medicine or anything else. And they said, we'll just make sure the label's accurate. Our power will be on labeling. So it's not a surprise that she went there. Uh, Now, of course, we've seen with both the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration, they have long abandoned those limits in practice. Uh, That's Legally, that's still what they're supposed to be about, but they ignore it whenever and wherever and however they can. And that, too, is on the cognizant awareness of the court. So the you know, the their their fear is you're going to have state battles that are going to have broad commercial impact. Um, And and the Constitution appeared to present a solution. It's how manageable is that solution in the modern age? It is. It's just it is an interesting idea that you can enact moral health safety regulation, the unwritten purpose of which is to give a leg up to the state and its own produce and exclude other states, you know, from competing within the state. So it was, it, it, it was no, very, I was, fa- 
And just kind of found it weird. People that, you know, it's like the animal cruelty people, whatever. It's like, hold on a second. So it's okay to kill the animal and eat the animal, but how we kill it is a big deal. We're still well, killing can, it. We're still I eating can, it. Yeah, but you know, I can appreciate the the life of suffering, for, you know, a free range animal and then killing it. Don't torture it when you kill it. Don't hang it by the legs uh, until it's dead. If it's the most thing. efficient way to kill it and eat it, why not? I mean, we're killing it and eating it. For well, the, you know what I mean? Well, I, I went I went fishing with my kid on the pier yesterday, and she didn't like that we were using live bait. And I was like, first of all, these fish live to feed the bigger fish. That's why they're they're bait. And where do you think it comes from? Like, if if, if we don't do it, someone has to do it. They're, I'm not better than them, so I get to like wash my hands literally of actually having to do it. Anyways, it was all hypothetical. It was like people get real mad about chicken fighting and pit bull fighting and whatnot. I was like, but we eat and kill animals. Well, Well, Robert, uh, why does one animal get special treatment? No, no. animal animal fighting is a hard stop for me. I've seen, I mean, I've I've seen the videos, even cockfighting. I had no idea. Why is it okay? Why is it not okay to watch them fight, but it is okay to kill them and eat them? Well, I just, I don't, don't, I don't think you subject them to inhumane treatment before consuming. Kill them for consumption. And as humanely as possible. Uh, but if you were a dog, which would you rather? Which would you rather be a dog who fights or a cow that gets killed and eaten? You know what? I'll, I'll take the dog. I'll take the cow because at least you get to meander through fields. And no, the the horror dog fighting is is a horror on its own. There's no um, no question about that. So in, in, interesting. So th- they've taken the decision. They're going to render the de- they're going to they've taken it. They've heard the case. They're going to render the decision within a year. Th- this session. <laughs> yeah, this session. Okay. Interesting. Uh, now, has, but Robert, it has massive consequence for a wide range of areas. The big question is whether they try to dodge it and punt it back. Uh, let me let me screen grab here, Robert. Uh, speaking of horrific stuff, uh, the Amazon deci- the Amazon case that you sent me. That's where I like. I, I have my initial reflex, and then I have my um, anger reflex. For anybody who hasn't heard this, it's a lawsuit filed by the estate of two uh, teens who committed suicide. Uh, the thing is, is, I'm also reluctant to even get into too much detail because I didn't know about this. And I fear that by even highlighting the decision, it's going to open people up to the fact that this actually exists. And it's, uh, it's atrocious. You could purchase a certain product which is used for preserving foods online. It's a, it's a preservative. You can, you can purchase it online w- willy-nilly for 20 bucks a bottle. It's somehow people found out that this is a product that can be used uh, to end their lives and sales actually skyrocketed on, on online platforms. And it's not just that people knew that people were buying this, not for the purposes of preserving and curing beef, but for taking their own lives. And it's, 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 it's a horrific tragedy. They knew this. It's not just that they knew it though, because Amazon knew it. What ends up happening is that the algorithm of Amazon recommendations being what it is uh, from the allegations of the lawsuit and evidence is there. Amazon, in conjunction with people who go to Amazon to buy this product, they were recommending a book uh, which contained a chapter on how to administer this product to end your life. And a few allegations from the lawsuit are so horrific. I hope I'm not speaking in um, euphemisms that that I hope it's understandable. I just I, I don't want people this being put on blast and people's like, Oh wow. I never knew this was out there. It's horrific. But Amazon, because people who went to buy this were buying that book, which tells you how to use it for the purposes of ending your life was, was coupling the products together for people. And the two plaintiffs, or at least two of the plaintiffs, I'm not sure if there are more one um, 
had their kid open an account with a first name only. Amazon shipped it to the kid who killed themselves with it. The other one uh, bought it through their mother's account. The mother's like, I didn't order this. Cancel the order. Amazon confirms the order's been canceled. Ship the product anyhow. Both kids took their own lives. And it's horror beyond horror. Part of me says, like, when we were kids, we had this thing called potassium nitrate, uh, saltpeter. You used to be able to buy it at pharmacies, mix it with sugar, and turn it into a smoke bomb or melt it and turn it into a paste and whatever. They stopped selling potassium nitrate at pharmacies. So it became a little harder to get. This stuff you could just pick up for 20 bucks a bottle online. Get the book that tells you how to use it. Amazon was selling it, making their $2.30 per sale. And now two parents of uh, children who committed suicide using this are suing. What have I missed? And um, it, it, it's horrific. Yeah, no, you summed it up well. I mean, in the... The, the question is, when are they liable for what they sell? And so here they've alleged very specific facts that they're deliberately, it's kind of like the Section 230 case before the U.S. Supreme Court on promoting terrorism by Google and Twitter. Here they've alleged specific facts that suggest Amazon was deliberately profiting from a very disturbed set of behavior and actions. And was, you know, basically, they're setting themselves up to help people put themselves in harm's way. And the uh, and then the, the, the question is what, you know, the, they have the various legal theories they cite. Is it legally actionable? And I think that's an open question because it's sort of a, it's somewhat of a novel area because they're not alleging falsity in advertising. They're alleging you're selling a product you know someone's going to use to harm themselves, including minors and especially minors, and that that's something you shouldn't be legally entitled to. And it's an open question whether that's the case. And that's the question I ask myself as well is, okay, you know, these products, it's used for curing, preserving beef. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a food product. Anything, you can buy a bottle of vodka, chug the whole thing and have the exact same problem. Uh, but then- I guess Amazon may blame the algorithm. They'll say they saw people were buying these products in Unity and so promoted them. But they were promoting products in Unity that could not be used for uh, a purpose other than harming yourself. Well, and from what I understand from the allegations, they were notified of the problem. And that's where you could have this organic AI causing the problem. But once you get notified of the problem, yep. you fix it so that I it doesn't they, happen. You know, they just want money as Amazon's priority. The question is, what legal duty do they have in this context? And that's really an undetermined issue. And, and it's uh, how much should we impose on them? And I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. It's something that's going to require more thought. Because, I mean, for example, there are books out there. We know that call, that people use for bad purposes. We don't want to ban books, though. Um, so when it's this set of products, how much is it okay to ban their combined sale, impose an obligation before they allow minors to purchase some due diligence? The, the, uh, that's, you know, that's the open question. It's disturbed what Amazon is doing. It's not clear that it's illegal. Well, that's the, um, hold on. I'm going to read Medic Deb because Medic Deb put out a hundred dollar rumble rant and it makes me feel good to read it. I have, I have an ego, but it's, I, Viva Fry, we need you. We need your honesty. We need the truth. You are a model of honor and truth. God bless you and your family. Thank you very much. But uh, and let, let me open the side, the, the parentheses. My story was I, I used to, as a teenager, be a big pain in the ass. And so you could get potassium nitrate at the pharmacy at the time. Saltpeter. Everyone knows this. You could mix it with sugar and then, and you could make smoke bombs out of it. And then one, one Halloween, I discovered you could mix sulfur in it, and then you make stink smoke bombs. And then another Halloween, I realized, holy cow, if you cook it, you could turn it into a paste, and then it, 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 you know, it becomes hard, 
And you could be, they could be like cherry bombs. Well, being an idiot kid that idiot kids are, I didn't realize that, you know, sulfur has a lower ignition point than other stuff. And I'm cooking it in my parents' kitchen, like, la di da, I'm gonna have a fun Halloween. It all explodes in my face in the kitchen. I don't, you can't see the scars. Maybe you can, like, here. All of it gets set on fire in the kitchen. Fire alarms go off. Uh, I have to, like, come. There were, like, craters in the wood cabinetry because of this stuff. It's like napalm. All, all, stupid. My mother comes home and then says, I'm calling the cops. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And then the cops are like, oh, yeah, interesting. We've had some vandalism. It wasn't me. We'd like to talk to your kid. And my mother's like, no, nah, you know what? Never mind. Forget about it. We'll talk to ourselves. But it, it's, it's the algorithm pairing it together. It's the danger of the algorithm. Then you find out that it's happening. And then, the, then it becomes what is their responsibility to decouple these things or maybe just act responsibly altogether and go through a separate verification process for things that could be used for nefarious purposes. But it's true. You know, people who want to buy certain books... Okay, if they see people are buying these books with, I don't know, massive orders of jerry cans, then maybe uh, you can start putting two and two together. But then what obligations are you creating on companies? Uh, it's a tricky question. I was, I was just horrified at the allegation of that lawsuit. Oh, it's, it's still, it just shows you how big tech has no moral limits at all. They'll exploit anybody for any reason that makes them money. Yes. The, the John Beck says, quiet guys, but Bezos needs his money for girlfriends and, and other stuff. Um, I'm going to screen grab this one too. Now, Robert, th- th- there was the other lawsuit that that led into, which was, um, hold on. Oh, geez. Oh, well, okay. So, so that's the lawsuit. We'll, we'll see. The allegations are strong enough to specific enough to, as far as I'm concerned, survive a, a summary motion to dismiss. Like th- there's some facts the mother canceling the order and then Amazon shipping it anyhow. First of all, that, that, I cannot imagine that type of, of, of horror. That's just, it's beyond, it's beyond fathom. Um, shifting it slightly, Robin Hood, you predicted, I'll say you, I, I can't say I predicted anything that I knew what was going to happen in that case, but Robin Hood has survived a motion to dismiss. It's a, it's a complicated decision because it gets granted in part, denied in part. The bottom line, I didn't understand the nuance as to the certification of the class that they'll decide at a later date, but they said sufficiently clear, you're going to get to proceed, but elaborate in a manner that's more eloquent and intelligent than what I just said. Yeah, for so for those who may not remember, Robinhood was a part of the whole people buying meme stocks, you know, GameStop, et cetera, uh, and, you know, trying to take down some big Wall Street hedge funds and Robinhood, which had pitched and marketed itself as a way for the ordinary person to, on a commission-free basis, trade in the stock market in an accessible, uh, affordable way, uh, stopped their ability to get some of those meme stocks that were hurting some of those big hedge funds. And in the in that context, I thought lawsuits could be brought and class actions could be brought because I felt that Robin Hood had uh, committed malfeasance. There was a bunch of law Twitter that said, oh, for this reason, that reason, Robin Hood could never be sued. And they were anti the, the meme stock people and all of that. And so the federal the uh, federal court found uh, that three different parts of the class action could continue, and that they alleged all the things necessary to have a securities violation, fraud on the market, and fraud on the people, and fraud on the consumers, and of the pe- the purchasers of Robinhood, the users of Robinhood, because it, what Robinhood was hiding was the fact that they were really what they were really doing is they would get your trade. And they claim to be doing it the fastest in the business. They're often doing it the slowest in the business. And by doing so, sell that information to people who could then front run the market. 
and they themselves could make a little more value on the exchange, charging a de facto backdoor commission. And so Robinhood, which was portraying itself as Robinhood, take from the rich, give to the poor, was actually stealing from the poor to give to the rich. And they lied about all of that. They've been caught lying about all of it. And the court said that those causes of action can absolutely move forward. And uh, and I think it's a very promising case now against Robin Hood. So the, the plaintiffs in that case remembered the principle that I first publicly enunciated in that case, which is never forgive, never forget, hold the line. They held the line. And consequently, uh, Robin Hood might have to pay a very big amount. Well, they, they had liquidity issues back in the day. I presume they still have the same liquidity issues. So good luck, even if you get a favorable judgment. None, none of the directors are personally on the hook for any of this? Uh, there may be investigation to them, but not to my knowledge. Okay. So it can proceed. And uh, <laughs> yeah, stealing from the poor to give to the rich is a, is a good way of putting it, Robert. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, which one do you want? Uh, I mean, th- there's a few more left here. But Yeah, there's a... Uh, so in the... Uh, Steve Wynn case, just sort of a brief one. We'll get to the uh, taxes case where governments mm-hmm. are trying to steal your house in the name of small tax bills. But the uh, Steve Wynn, uh, uh, Alex Jones, by the way, calls that a lead. It's like, yeah, hey, Barnes, you always got to give him a lead. Got to give him a lead for the end of the show. You can't talk about everything in the beginning. You got to say, you got to say something. The uh, old Alexander. The, uh, but uh, uh, Steve Wynn was being charged by the Biden administration for not registering as a foreign agent, uh, really, as an agent of China. Now, Anybody watching this could tell just by the allegations made in the case that this is a political effort of the Biden Justice Department to continue to target anybody in Trump world for some form of legal political harassment, uh, weaponizing the legal system and their Justice Department control to get there, much as the Alex Jones case is weaponizing the legal system to suppress dissident speech, much as the January 6th and Trump cases are about harassing Trump and Trump supporters. Uh, in this case, their allegations were that way back several years ago, Steve Wynn, who had, uh, while he was still in control of his casinos, no longer is to my knowledge, during that time period, uh, he lobbied on behalf of the Chinese government as to a particular uh, unidentified Chinese individual in the United States not being extended a visa while he was lobbying for better and easier regulations in Macau. It looks to me like China was actually trying to extort Wynn by saying we're going to revoke a bunch of your privileges in Macau unless you bring this issue up. Wynn brought the issue up a couple of times, then just withdrew. Uh, that was years ago. Under the Freedom under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, which is being dangerously misapplied in many contexts and cases, as we saw in the General Flynn case and the related cases in Virginia, whose name I always can't pronounce correctly. But the uh, uh, the federal court said, you can't require someone to register years and years after the fact. And so dismiss the case entirely on its on its merits. So Wynn won that case against the Biden administration. I think Wynn knew what it was. It was solely a politically motivated case to punish Wynn for being associated with Trump and still being a Trump supporter. So uh, a good on the court upholding the law, rule of law in this context. But it's another sign of where the Biden administration is going. They're looking at all their political dissidents and trying to find ways to prosecute them or punish them. Robert, you mentioned Jones saying, leave, leave something for the end. And I also forget to do something, which uh, Salty Cracker does very well. Where the heck is it? The, uh, what? Uh, for goodness sake. Well, you know what? Hold on. We're just going to go here. Day two. I'm going to share this screen. Uh, this is, I keep forgetting to tell everyone merch. I'm wearing Salty Cracker tonight. 
if you go to vivafry.com, that's my wife next to you, you get all of our merch, Robert. You got some of the politics rooms, everything. Some of the good ones that you had are view all merch. vivafry.com. Hinged, fringed, and proud. Where is the good good? Confession through projection. My twin brother Paul did it, a classic. Never forgive, never forget. Hold the line right there. And you get Viva Barnes University and a bunch of other fun stuff. And we'll probably be updating it as we go along, see what people like the best, uh, and continue to add additional uh, merchandise, which, Absolutely. which you can get. Now, uh, Robert, okay, so Steve Wynn wins. Uh, the, the, do we, well, let's do the other one. Andy Warhol, uh, I guess is a, another quick one. Andy Warhol is, uh, who's suing who in this? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair use copyright uh, dispute. As to whether or not Andy Warhol or his estate, whoever's doing this, his can estate. use can use a picture of Prince uh, that a photographer took, a variation of the of, of the photograph. It's sort of like, it looks like one of those um, not Final Cut. It looks like one of those software uh, super enhanced uh, highlights. Black. It goes from like a, a nuanced black and white photo to stark contrast, uh, black and green. Uh, a little more shading. It's modified a little bit, apparently, to have more of a smile than the original. And Warhol's estate says this is sufficiently transformative of an original photograph taken by the estate of the, the no, by the photographer himself. Um, we want to continue using it for commercial purposes. The photographer says, no, that's my work. This is a variation of my work. Uh, you can't do it. What's, what, what's the interesting question of law in there? To, to me, it seems pretty clear because that uh, admittedly there's some sufficiently transformative aspect to it but it's clearly uh, a copy of the original a little bit of a change done for commercial purposes i see theft uh how do you how do you see it well that's what i'm gonna ask because like warhol's work is all that right i mean warhol took other people's images and made art out of it to me maybe it's because it's warhol like when i see his tomato can soup stuff I see political commentary. I see so transformative a use that I don't see it as, oh, wow, he loves the tomato can imagery so much that I'm just seeing the artistic wonderments of this tomato can. I see the uh, a transformative commentary on consumerist culture in America. The, the way Marilyn Monroe had become sort of an obsessed image, he captured repeatedly well. So the only question I had is whether this particular image was insufficiently transformative in the way other Warhol images are. Because when I know it's a Warhol, at least I think of commentary. So interesting, because when I saw it, yeah, like I, had... this, I see that as classic Warhol. I don't look at that and say, oh, that's really the, the real value of that is the original photograph. I don't see that. I see classic Warhol reconstruction it was i see that almost right away i know it's a warhol or warhol inspired and and this is the photograph on which it was based or from which it was modified um i had i had only seen one image of it and not this montage yeah like the month <sighs> which is what he's famous for is the montage and so i look at that and i see transformative use because uh, I think it's an attempt by photographers to show, in other words, when you look at this, do you think, geez, that underlying image is what's really artistic here? Not me. And, I, and I, you know what I guess the question is, if you see this image, does it, is it going to say to anybody, anybody who buys this poster is not going to have an interest in buying this anymore? Not, because exactly. It, it's not like they're stealing photos. It's not like people are lining up for that photographer to get his photo. Well, what, 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 is, what does the chat say? Fair use or sufficiently transformative chat? Let's see what, let's see what everyone says out there. So decision to come on that, but it, it, did it look like the court was? It looked like the court was leaning one way on this, right? 
Uh, I thought it was towards fair use. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I think as well. That's what I thought. I think because it was it's as Warhol. Well. To be honest with you, if it was somebody else, they'd probably be less willing. But it's like you see a Warhol, and you're like, boom! I know what that is. And you, you right. think Warhol, not the underlying image. Warhol uh, was a weird dude, by the way. People are saying transformative and fair use. Okay. Barnes is that, right. That's my takeaway. I'm not a big fan of, of most copyright laws, intellectual property protections. Uh, I'm more of a skeptic and critic of it. Not, not entirely. I recognize value to all of it. But I think it's often overextended and overused. And I'm still waiting for my libertarian friends to tell me why the state should have no role but except in IP somehow. So it's an area of a little bit of contradiction in some places. I mean, no. like people use uh, the hush hushes I do at Viva Barnes Law, that locals.com, a uh, bunch of places, video. I don't care at all. I'm not a big, you know, copyright monopolist guy. I understand it for like really original art that can only be produced and made if the person can get the monetary value of it. But a lot of these cases, it doesn't seem like that's really what's happening. Seems that the consensus is fair use. Someone says good, good use. That is buckethead one, two, three. Uh, that's unfair use of uh, our catchphrase. Good, good, sir. You're in trouble now. All right, Robert, let's do this one as the last one. Cause it's been quiet. Everybody who doesn't know I'm, I'm alone with the kids for a week. We've been, we've been surviving. <laughs> I keep forgetting. You got to feed kids. Like they, they don't eat. They don't eat on their own. They could be old enough to know they should. They don't, they become cranky, Royal pains in the ass. Um, okay, this was an interesting one, Robert, because this this comes up time and time again. There was a recent case out of Michigan uh, seizing a twenty five thousand dollar house for eight dollars in 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 backdraft. I don't even know back taxes. I forget the state. Bottom line, they Michigan. seized Michigan. They seized an entire property worth three hundred some odd thousand dollars for a twenty two thousand dollar tax owing plus interest and whatever. Uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm such an, I'm such a naive boob. I just say, okay, well, the state's going to take it. They're going to sell the property and then they're going to remit the balance to the owner. Uh, they took the entire property, transferred it or conveyed it to another party. I don't know who it was for a deemed value of the amount the individual owned, which was a 10th of what more than a 10th or less than a 10th of what the property was worth. And the judge said, no go. This is this is taking under law. But to, to clarify the nuance, Steve Leto also did a, a bit on this. So a shout out to Steve Leto. Um, the, the, the issue here was not the state's ability to seize and sell property to pay off a, a debt owing to the state. It was to do so in a way that basically transferred all of the equity in the property to the state above and beyond what was actually owed. Exactly. What they were doing is redefining what is constitutes a legally cognizable interest of a of a of private property. So they were what they were effectively doing, saying if you owed a tax, that they could strip you of all your legally cognizable interest equity in this case, uh, in in a particular property in this case a home. And so they were saying we didn't take a three hundred thousand dollar house. We took a twenty two thousand dollar house. Because we just denied it of all its equitable value. And we, you know, cut an inside deal and sold it to one of our buddies and voila. And this was Oakland County. So big suburban county outside Detroit that did this. And Michigan was doing it routinely. And the Sixth Circuit held, no, this state can't do that. That the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution prohibits the taking of a person's private property without just compensation. And you can't uh, unilaterally declare their home not to have a certain value because they owe a tax. 
And so, they, but it's scary is they were doing this systematically, taking people's $300,000 home, plus $300,000 home for a $22,000 tax bill. I mean, they were stealing almost $280,000 from their taxpayers. Well, and, and I'm reading, I was like, oh, I said, what's the issue? If you don't pay, they, they seize the house, they sell it, they take their fees, they take their yada, yada, you lose a little bit more, but they remit the balance to you. And then I read this decision, there was no balance because they just deemed it to be the amount owed. And hey, someone made good money off of it. They just screwed the, the homeowner, the property owner. Uh, but now does this, for anybody who had, had experienced this in the past, do they have any claims going back or, or, or tough nuggies too bad, so sad? Oh, no, anybody- they don't have takings claims. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good precedent. Any, I mean, it's, it was wealth. I mean, it's sent totally justified any chance this somehow gets overturned on appeal because the judge is no. a conservative and yada, yada. No, okay. I don't think so. This was kind of obvious to me. Well, it was, it was shocking when I, it's like, okay, well, so, so the guy lost his property, but has the, 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 the excess value to the load. Oh no, 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 no. They just transferred it for the deemed value of, of, of the amount. Um, let me see here. Do we, well, Robert, what, oh, any- well, there's the, the, a couple of other items. The Danchenko trial is ongoing. Technofog is covering it. More evidence came out. You know, the FBI was offering millions of dollars to people to give uh, false information about the president. Those are people that belong in prison. Uh, it, the, but of course, Durham didn't prosecute any of them. The federal judge dismissed some of the claims already because of the somehow the accidentally poor job Durham is doing in prosecuting the case. Uh, that has woken up more and more people to what I said all along, which was that Durham was a cover-up artist, not an exposure artist. He was there to clean up for and cover up the FBI's criminality, not actually expose it, document it, and detail it. And people are seeing that in live time once again in this trial. But some of the shocking revelations that still came out of the trial was the degree to which the FBI was sponsoring. Basically, they were doing a coup. They were not only illegally spying on a presidential candidate and then spying on him as president. They were going around offering effectively bribes. That's what they'd be called if one of us did it to people to come up with false information to make Trump look bad. And they had and they hit it all as secret, classified, confidential law enforcement, whistleblower, informant information. Uh, and that's how they hid a lot of what the illegality that they were doing. And so the uh, but so those are the key revelations that come out of this uh, case. Another, another big one, from what I understand, is that uh, in a footnote to one of the proceedings, it, it turns out Danchenko had told the FBI the whole dossier story was bunk. And they nonetheless said, yeah, what does he know? We're going to continue to move on this and use it for the purposes of renewing our unlawful FISA warrants. Above and then they the listed them as, as an informant so they couldn't. So they could hide the fact that he had told them that from Congress, which means Comey likely committed even more perjury before Congress. And this is not going to leave people with a good taste in their mouth for the rest of the weekend and heading into a new week, Robert. What, what, what are the other uh, two short ones that we have on the list? SeaWorld. So SeaWorld has a Halloween exhibit. And so they got this guy that likes to scare people. And so the guy comes up to somebody's grandkid puts him in a head choke and does a body slam on him. And when the granddad tries to stop this guy trying to scare his kid at the scare thing by physically violently assaulting him, he assaults the granddad. So they had to file suit because it turned out that, you know, I guess SeaWorld took their job seriously. They went out and found violent criminals with a history of a violent criminal record and hired him to scare people. And so they're like, well, how do you scare people? You physically violently assault them, apparently. (laughs) 
the uh, it reminds me of my old history professor who uh, once said, you know, there was somebody who was putting razor blades and apples for Christmas for Halloween. And he was like, I he I respect that guy. That's a guy that understands what Halloween's tradition is really all about. <laughs> uh, that, but and by the way, it's it's an urban legend. I don't really think there's ever been any meaningful case of that ever happening. It was. Th- this is one of my things. Robert. I don't well, like. Going to be uh, going to be Halloween uh, going out trick or treating soon. Oh yeah, and people in the neighborhood. First time in Florida they'll be doing. First it. time in Florida, people here take it seriously, and I love it because we're we're going to do something good. They're actually out now putting out the. Decorations. You know what you have to do when they bring back the candy, right? Uh, confiscated, taken. Yeah, you should explain. There's the tax. There's the federal tax. Then there's the state tax. Then there's the regulatory imposition. No, but Robert, you know what the maybe you get five percent. Especially no, I, the middle one will go nuts if you do that. It'd be great. I, Catch it on film. She'll be enraged. I don't know. I don't. I don't irritate the kids like like the Jimmy Kimmel bit about like I ate your candy. What are you gonna do? I just hate the fact there is no gate. There is no rationing the candy. They get a bag of candy. They're gonna eat a bag of candy. They want it for breakfast, lunch, dinner. They don't understand why they feel sick afterwards. And yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Hopefully they uh, they hand out healthy treats out here. But uh, no, the, the Halloween's coming. But the, the I don't like those displays. I was at a place where they had people, you know, this, with the bloody masks and fake chainsaws. It's like, no, dude, this you're like one step away from somebody actually doing something terrible here, uh, and you'll have no idea that it's fake or that it's real because you think it's fake. I I, I stay away from those things. But you know, you know, we're all looking for ha- happy Halloween here. Um, yeah, a couple of other cases briefly. The uh, Nicola guy who was lying about the effectiveness of his electrical vehicles was convicted of a bunch of fraud crimes this week in federal court. A city in Peru is suing Peru in the inter-American court, because Peru is a party to it, over whether or not they deliberately allowed toxic chemicals to uh, influx their community uh, in exchange for sweetheart corporate deals with various companies, including American companies, by the way. And uh, there's a new good antitrust law going through the House. We discussed it with Mike Davis, so you can go back and watch that sidebar. Hopefully, it'll pass through the Senate, uh, which will improve the possibility of taking down big tech using traditional antitrust law and reforming it to its original precepts and principles. And two other cases. One is uh, uh, Taylor Lorenz. Uh, the uh, Adriana Jacob filed a good amended complaint. Harmie Dillon has taken up her cause and case. Uh, filed a very robust amended complaint uh, the, that you can find it out there. It's publicly available. Uh, they were on Fox News, uh, Tucker, about it and some other places. So that that's uh, good to see. And hopefully the court recognizes the law because yep. she clearly was defamed oh, and liable by Taylor Lorenz. And she added specific stuff now that Taylor Lorenz knew or ought to have known that she, Ariana Jacobs, did not leak nudes of one of her clients for extortive purposes and if she didn't know, she didn't ask, and she was known and never made any corrections, whatever. Uh, there were a couple of others. They basically, Lorenz knew that what she was saying was not accurate, but she was just citing one side without verification, despite knowing that there was verification that was needed. So it's, I mean, it's more She specific. lied through other people's voices, and she knew she was lying, yeah. and that's still libel. Yep. And, and, and she was put on notice, and uh, it's detailed, it's factual. The judge, the judge laid the path for Ariadne to do this, and Hopefully it works. We'll see. Yeah. And the last case is a little Clovis Community College decided to ban the Young Americas uh, for Freedom from distributing their uh, Freedom Week flyers on campus. And they uh, because some people said they felt a little offended by it. They were kind of hurt by it. This is what happened. Take the Alex Jones verdict. Keep extending it. Legally protected safe spaces. Everybody can't talk if it offends or upsets somebody. And so the uh, federal court correctly ruled 
that that was a violation of the First Amendment. The next excuse of Clovis Community College was somebody might confuse it with being our speech because it happens on a college campus. This was the same nonsense they did with the flag case that was unanimously determined to be a violent First Amendment violation by the Supreme Court last year. Correctly and properly and rightly rejected that as well. So a very good First Amendment win by the Young Americans for Freedom. Fantastic. And now I'm reading some chat about watching out for candies and don't plant those seeds in the mind of a neurotic. I will, I will, anyway, we'll see we're going to go through the candy thoroughly. And I, and I, and I reserve the right to lose some candy. Uh, Robert, what do you have on this week? Who do we have on for sidebar on Wednesday? Yeah. The other thing you could do is you could distribute the candy to random poor kids and say, Hey, it's reparations time. The, uh, uh, you know, you, you could just, I mean, there's so much fun you could do with candy. Well, we, we might just have, we, we, maybe we'll have another fundraiser and sell the candy. The problem is parents are going to give us money for the fundraiser and not take the candy because no parent wants more candy after Halloween any more than they want slime. Right. <sighs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm in transit this week, so I don't, uh, no sidebar for me this week. Okay. So I'll see who, I'll see if I can get someone. I, I, I know people want uh, Neil Oliver. I got to get Neil Oliver. Uh, a, a few of the doctors. I'd love to get the doctor. So stay tuned. All, there'll be something good happening this week. Maybe Keith Wilson will come back to talk about what's going on in Canada. And I will be streaming um, some of that inquiry because it's, it's, yeah, it's actually. So in all the Rumble rants, we'll do a separate recorded video, probably be up tomorrow answering all of those. On Tuesday uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern, I will be live with the Duran uh, on YouTube and Rumble. And then at 7.30 Eastern, we'll be live with Richard Barris on what are the odds predicting the state elections. State legislatures and governors will be a particular focus uh, this week. Uh, and uh, and then I'm in Tennessee. I'll be there for the Children's Health Def Defense inaugural conference in Knoxville this coming weekend. Fantastic. And we do have to get RFK Jr. We have to make that one happen. It's going to happen sooner than later. All right. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. It's been another magnificent Sunday evening. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Head into the new week with vigor and knowledge. Robert, stick around. We will say our proper goodbyes after I can figure out how to end the stream. And uh, that's it. Everybody, peace out, peeps. Peace.